Cayman's top news headlines of the day from CMR. Good morning, Sandy. Morning, morning. Hello, hello. Good morning, Blake and Aaron. There we are. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. It's mail day. What does that mean? It means that we're going to be reading our mail. You actually get mail? Like, you know, email. Okay. I see. And other correspondence. <laughs> not not physical, not like snail mail. Mm-hmm. All right. News headlines today. CMR launches mail day. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you, should put, you should put like a little E down there where it says mail. It should be like a small E. Like email. Like okay. email with Sandy. Ah, I don't know. Just a thought. Um, Jamaica is the first country to make digital currency legal tender. Wow. That's really? amazing. So, um, they are, you know, a cash heavy economy. So their central bank has officially recognized the jam decks as a central bank digital currency. So it's J A M dash D E X legal tender okay. becoming the first country to do so in the entire world. According to the Bank of Jamaica, Governor Richard Biles, the Jamdex, which has been in pilot testing since last year, will officially launch for domestic use later this month. So interesting. Okay, so it's not like Bitcoin. It's just their own NFT. Mm, I mean, I guess. Digital currencies, digital currencies. Yeah. I was watching uh, Jeopardy last night, and they had a whole category about Jepcoin. Jeopardy Uh launching their own Bitcoin. Oh, really? Cryptocurrency. Yeah, Yeah. cryptocurrency. Is that wild? I'm sure. I think a lot of people. I'm sure they're the first game show to launch their own cryptocurrency, Jepcoin. I mean, I'm not going on that if that's if I get paid in Jepcoin. No, I want cold cold hard cash (laughs) for them. Cold hard cash or Bitcoin. I'll take. I get. I take uh, Bitcoin or uh, cold hard cash. That's that's the only thing I I accept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally feel you there. All right. Um, The governor has said that he wants tougher laws when it comes to DUI. Um, This really is in alignment with what I've heard government members also saying, because he says that I think the standards on the road are... um... Hi, G. (laughs) No, that's not not Gianna. Um, I think the standards on the road... He says, I think the standards on the road are atrocious, and I've seen it myself. A big, big problem is drink driving, as the English say, but, you know, everybody else calls it drunk driving. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I mean, I don't know if you got you guys saw this video that we posted early in the week with these two women in a car driving um, with open bottles, drinking and driving, like, and they put it on TikTok. They recorded it and put it on TikTok. So clearly people in this country um, see no issue with drinking and driving, quite literally. So wow. I see yeah. no issue with just driving terribly in general. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's bad enough, but you add, you know, alcohol oh, to uh, it. Yeah. yeah. Far worse. So, um, you know, a number of fatalities have been linked to DUI, but I think it's not even just the fatalities, it's the overall number of accidents. So um, he's encouraging, he said he's looking forward to the government um, putting tougher legislation in place. And I think they're looking at tougher penalties as well as actually reducing the, um, the, the limit. Yeah. yeah. What, what's the limit right now? Uh, that's a good question for somebody who doesn't even drink. <laughs> I want to say it's like, uh, like 0.10. I think I'd, so. I'd have to. That's, uh, a, that's, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah well, that's, I think they're going to look at cutting that in half, actually. Yeah. 
All right. Um, so habitual sexual predator, um, Ronnie, oh gosh, he's got a lot. Ronnie Rodney Ebanks, 53 years old. Um, he has been sentenced on Wednesday to two years imprisonment. Remember, this was the guy that the parent was running off of the beach back in January. It kind yeah. of went viral. Yeah. So he ended up pleading guilty. Now he's off to jail for two years. Ooh. So, yes, kind of crazy. All right. There was a bit of a story trending this week about the Ritz-Carlton and yeah. um, an incident that happened there over the weekend. We had a parent reach out to us as it relates to um, life. The, the first issue was lifeguards potentially not being on scene by the water park. And then the second issue was whoever was there didn't seem to know CPR. And so a little boy got in some trouble after he had an allergic reaction to something um, like had really started to drown in the water because he, wow. um, you know, yeah, he was unconscious sort of thing. And another parent had to perform CPR and that parent contacted um, the mother of, of uh, another child witnessed the whole thing. And then her um, baby father was the one who performed the CPR on the child. And he was really, really traumatized. And he reached out to us sharing some sentiments in terms of what the experience was like. You know, he said, listen, I'm CPR certified, but it's not something that I ever really want to use if I can help it, especially on a child. And so he really wondered why, um, you know, there was no support in the environment, you know, in terms of anybody else knowing CPR that actually worked at the Ritz and no one was in a position to assist medically. Well, did they ask for assistance? They did. Okay. Yeah, they, said they, they asked for assistance yeah. um, because it was some sort of an anaphylactic response. They were mm -hmm. asking for Benadryl, anything else that could have, because that was the primary issue. So they were asking for anything that could bring that under control. Um, and unfortunately, uh, that wasn't available. And then nobody else knew CPR either, apparently. But was it something that the child needed to have like an EpiPen on standby anyway? Yeah, that's kind of, yeah, that would be up to. It, it's, to it do. sounds like maybe. Um, yeah. I don't think the child has ever had a reaction like this. And so it was one of those yeah. things where he does have allergies to, I think they said banana and cheese or something. So he must have gotten a hold of something that day that he shouldn't have. That's um, a pretty, that's a. That's, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's banana and cheese everywhere. Uh, that would be something that I would think that the parents would have to be prepared yeah. for. You know, it's. I mean, I oh, it's, a, it's we a, have a mutual friend, and that, that their their son is allergic to everything, and so she's you know they're on they're both on it all the time because you have to be. Yeah. And so yeah, that's the thing. It's I every time my kids would try a new food or something as they were getting obviously growing up. I was always quite scared. I remember I gave my kids peanut butter in the pediatrician's office because I was so scared that they'd be allergic. We've gone to the the uh, Ritz Water Park uh, lots of times. So they've got a guy that that typically is uh, up on top of the of the, uh, the slide area, yeah. kind of manning the slide for the little kids. Okay. And I, don't, I don't know if that person should be required to, to know CPR or not. It's right. kind of like... You know, when you go to a hotel, you, there aren't lifeguards at the pool. There, there aren't lifeguards at the beach. No. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, so it's well, not. It is one of those questions that has come up over the years because, no. you know, we are a very water-based country. And um, you go to any hotel, there's no, there's no lifeguard. It's just no. part of, uh, you know, you, you take your own risks. It's your, yeah. It's, it's your responsibility, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you would think. People would know CPR around the place, but yeah, I mean, well, apparently. I would say that maybe that there should be, yeah. that should be, but they, but if it's not a requirement, you know, sometimes people just don't, but again, other hotels, they aren't like that either where they yeah. know CPR. So yeah, that's, I mean, it's just a good conversation to have about 
Now, what people sure. can it's like, it's like um, having an AED, you know, at the hotel and available should someone have a cardiac issue. Yeah. Um, right. You don't have to do it. Yeah. It's, it's good practice. Now, I'll say this because this happened last weekend when we stayed at the Kimpton. Literally saw this unfold. We were at their new water park and they have nobody uh, watching the slides or watching the kids play at, at the Kimpton. And maybe that's something they're figuring out, but um, there's also yeah. an area kind of behind the, the, the Sandy's going to miss Bobo, the new water park. Um, oh my gosh. Sorry. <laughs> I have to finish my thought. Yeah, gotta go, gotta yeah. go. uh, but the kid uh, ended up running over to his kid, his parents crying. He had blood streaming oh, down no. his face and he must have like uh, knocked a tooth out or something. And, and then they called for, support or emergency and it took about three minutes for them to get over there but a guy came with gloves on and a little emergency pack and well, that's good whatever so they, they did they did respond they just yeah. weren't right there but yeah you always can't be just right there whatever. so they, they did, they yeah. did all right, they just all right Sandy, right well there. have a great weekend yeah, right. whatever. so they, they did they did respond. all right they getting some feedback right this morning there. well have a great yeah, weekend all done one morning. Good morning, everyone. Just got a little bit of an issue here. Give me one quick second. All done one morning. Good morning, everyone. Just got a little bit of an issue here. Give me one quick second. All done one morning. Good morning, everyone. Just got a little bit of an issue here. Give me one quick second. All done one morning. Good morning, everyone. Just got a little bit of an issue here. Give me one quick second. All done one morning. Good morning, everyone. Just got a little bit of an issue here. So it actually said echo. All right, let me just log out and try to log back in. Yes, okay, that's better. Did I accidentally hit the echo button? I'm not sure. Bizarre. Good morning, everyone. Peppermint, sorrel, ginger, beaver grass, or English. Get it ready. Your morning tea just got hotter. Ooh, honey child. On the cold, hard truth, Bobo 89.1 and Cayman's number one talk show are bringing you morning talk like no one else. Monday Rewind, Impact Wednesdays, Caribbean Connections, and much more. Don't miss a beat with what's happening in the local community. Just keep sipping your tea. What a mess. Here's your host, live and direct from the Cayman Islands, Sandy Hill. Good morning. Good morning, K-Man. Welcome to our Friday edition. I can't believe it's Friday already. I hope that you guys um, are doing well. We do have um, our mail day today. So basically on Fridays, we're going to spend some time going through um, the mailbag, like the literal ma mailbag. So we get messages from all over the place. Um, as Blake said, it's not obviously necessarily snail mail because <laughs> if you send me snail mail, I'll get it uh, next year. Because I literally check my mailbox once here. So if you want me to receive something important, don't put it in the post because I'll never get it. So I go in and pay my annual fee. All right, folks, be warned. Uh, but yes, we get stuff via email. We get stuff on Messenger. We get stuff on WhatsApp. 
And these are all just, um, you know, a culmination of uh, those messages, some really, really interesting ones that we have lined up for you today. Uh, some things uh, we'll just throw out there by way of discussion because we don't actually have the answers. And then other things we will, um, you know, we've reached out to the government sources to try to get the answers for you. So let's go ahead and check in with our news for the morning. Good morning. Happy Friday. Hello and welcome to CMR Daily Buzz. I'm Misha Allinger and thank you for joining us. A 53-year-old West Bay serial sexual predator, Ronnie Rodney Ebanks, was sentenced to two years' imprisonment on 8th June. Ebanks was originally arrested after a video went viral of a parent chasing him away from the scene of the incident where he was observed publicly performing an indecent act. He eventually pleaded guilty earlier in the year to the Indecent Act and criminal trespassing. Governor of the Cayman Islands, His Excellency Martin Roper, acknowledging that Cayman has a serious issue with drunk driving, is looking forward to the government passing a bill that will strengthen the laws. RCIPS has also admitted that alcohol has been a contributing factor to the official number of fatal motor vehicle accidents that have occurred in the last 12 months. The revelation comes after the elected government has been contemplating increasing the penalties for DUIs and reducing the legal limit by half. Following a complaint by an anonymous member of the public to CMR alleging a fuel quality issue at the Barcam Esso gas station, Offreg launched an investigation. The series of tests revealed acceptable fuel quality standards and no contamination was observed. Offreg said it is committed to protecting consumers in the utility areas it regulates, including regular monitoring and inspection of fuels in Cayman. Members of the public can submit formal complaints to Offreg by email at complaints at offreg.ky or by calling 345-946-4282. Offreg will join CMR's The Cold Hard Truth on 10th June with host Sandy Hill to discuss more. Stay tuned. The Ministry of Agriculture has started to roll out a national livestock identification and tracking system as part of its efforts to modernize the agricultural sector. The aim is to enhance animal identification and disease surveillance, assist with the procurement and supply of feed and other resources based on livestock population data, and also to monitor genetic and breed variation within the Cayman Islands. Farmers interested in having their animals tagged can contact the Department of Agriculture via telephone at 947-3090. The service is free and requires no advance scheduling. World Health Organization representative Mr. Ian Stein visited the Cayman Islands last week to re-engage partnerships affected by the COVID-19 pandemic and bolster public health initiatives. Visiting and local health professionals also discussed a still-in-development quitline that will provide 24-7 support to persons who have decided to give up tobacco consumption. The quitline is expected to launch at the end of 2022. For more information, please contact Public Health Promotions Coordinator Ms. Therese Prehay at therese.prehay at hsa.ky. 
BAF Insurance is advising public of its early office closure to facilitate a staff training on Friday, 10th June at 2.45 p.m. Regular business hours will resume Monday, June 13th at 8.30 a.m. Let's hear from Kevin Wattler for updates on Cayman's weather. Hello Cayman, I'm Kevin Wattler and this is your CMR weather update. It's brought to you by WG Charters. Sunrise at 546, today is partly cloudy. The day heats up to the mid-80s. Winds east to northeast at 5 to 10 miles per hour. Sunset at 703. No changes for tonight. Partly cloudy skies with light east-northeast winds and the temperatures fall to the upper 70s. High tides at 5.37 a.m. and 12.34 p.m. Low tides at 12.37 a.m. and 12.34 p.m. Looking forward, similar weather conditions are expected. Be sure to stay hydrated, especially if you spend a lot of time outdoors during the day. CMR weather updates are brought to you by WG Charters. They offer private boat trips for a great price, so we encourage you to support them. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Kevin, for those updates. In regional news, Olympic medalist Sherika Jackson runs a brilliant race in a meeting record time of 21.91 seconds to win the 200 meters at the Diamond League, ahead of the Olympic champion Elaine Thompson-Hera, who finished second at 22.25 seconds. Making international news is a 300-year-old gold ring that was found in a farmer's field in Shropshire. The skull-engraved ring discovered in 2020 in the Alberbury area, England, was declared treasure at Shrewsbury Coroner's Court on 7th June. A reward yet to be decided will be split between the metal detectorist and the landowner. The metal detectorist was granted use of the field by the owner and discovered the treasure on 13 December 2020. CMR is inviting businesses to sponsor our Hurricane Special Edition with host Kevin Wattler. Reach out to CMR sales team today to find out more and secure your spot to promote your business on CMR platforms. For more in-depth news and headlines, please visit our website, caymanmallroad.com. Tune in to The Cold Hard Truth with Sandy Hill, Monday to Friday at 7.30 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and Radio Bobo 89.1 FM. Thank you for tuning in to CMR Daily Buzz. I'm Misha Allinger. Please do not drink and drive and stay safe. All right, folks. Good morning. Good morning. Hope everybody's doing well. It's a beautiful uh, Friday morning. Happy Friday. Everybody loves a Friday because y'all feel like, well, it's that much closer to the weekend. For some of us, it doesn't make a difference what day of the week it is. We're at it every single day. But why not celebrate Friday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday? It's just a good day to be alive as far as I'm concerned. So good morning to everyone. Hope you guys are having a fabulous uh, day so far. Let's go ahead and say good morning to whoever is logged on to our live stream. We've got Miss Vernita. She says, blessed good morning. Good morning, Miss Vernita. Marshall is joining us. He's probably still on vacation. He's been taking a little bit of vacay. Uh, by the way, summer is quickly approaching. It is June. Um, when do schools officially get out? I feel like they're, a lot of them are coming up now towards the end of the month. And a lot of you are planning family trips and vacations. So um, do let me know what you're up to. Uh, where are you going? Olivia, good morning to you, my dear. How are you? Melita's got it locked. Maria, good morning to Maria. Hello. Oh, Maria. Yes. How are you? It's a different Maria. 
Jose, good morning to Jose. Thank you so much. Diamond Princess is here. We've got James who's watching in Canada. What's the weather like in Canada, James? What part of Canada are you in? Uh, uh, Hero Blair's here. Good morning. Jonathan joining us. He says, good morning to you all, Cayman family from St. Martin in the Caribbean. Big shout out to all the folks there in St. Martin. Jasara has it locked. Good morning, Jasara. Catherine is watching and Miss Rita is here saying, buenos dias, feliz viernes. So that means happy Friday for those of you who've forgotten all of your Spanish. Um, I've forgotten a lot, <laughs> but there's still a little bit that I remember. So feliz viernes means happy Friday. So good morning to one and good morning to all. We do have a guest who's going to be joining us um, from government this morning talking about an upcoming um, event that they want the public to know about. And, you know, this is fantastic. There's lots to do in this community. I really hate when people complain that there's nothing to do here because, believe it or not, for a relatively small island, we do have lots going on. And so they're going to be joining us here shortly to share exactly uh, what they have on the agenda. I see someone is WhatsApping me this morning. Um, so they said Triple C's last day of school is the 22nd at noon. So a lot of uh, schools are now coming up to um, that, uh, that time of the year where the kids will be out for summer. So we do have mailbag questions uh, lined up for you this morning. So what this is, is listen, we get oh, a lot of correspondence. Let's just put it that way. All the time, people are always uh, messaging us, uh, various methods, WhatsApp, email, the works. And um, I thought, wouldn't it be great if we just spent uh, a day or part of the program at least going through um, some of these messages so that you can get a feel for what, what's on people's minds. So a lot of it is that. And also, um, you know, we can discuss it really. So uh, let's see here. So we do have, um, I, I went through a lot of them last night. I've kind of put them together in a single document because sometimes it's like so many messages that you've kind of got to just pull them from different sources. So we have those ready. Um, it's about four pages worth of uh, mail that has come into us. So we'll go through some of the comments are a bit longer, some are shorter, and uh, we'll go through all of that. So big things going on in the Cayman Islands. As you guys know, Parliament has restarted in, on Wednesday. Wednesday, yes, today is Friday. So uh, lots going on. Um, lots going on in Parliament. And one of the, the remits of this program, as far as I'm concerned, is keeping y'all updated. I went to the bank yesterday and someone said, you know, Sandy, I was listening to the program a couple of days ago and you were talking about, I guess that probably would have been Wednesday's program, in fact. And you were talking about how people just don't keep up with what's happening. And so they made reference to the Beach Bay Project the Mandarin Oriental. And they said, you know, this is something that was approved years ago and I've been following it and I know about it. Um, you know, why is it uh, that others don't know? And I said, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the point that people have to really keep on top of things and make sure that you are um, concerned with what is happening uh, in your community. And, you know, that's also part of what we're doing here. We're trying to keep you guys up to date as much as possible. So um, let me just see if we can, uh, good morning to Wee Wee and Miss Cynthia or Maria says, I'm here, Sandy. 
TGIF, pleasant good morning to everyone. Thank you so much, Omeria. So good to see you. So let's go ahead and uh, maybe start with a few questions. Now we've got guests coming in in about 15 minutes. Uh, one point of clarification, in the news segment, it made mention of the fact that um, Offreg was actually joining the show this morning. Unfortunately, they had to reschedule. So they were supposed to come on and then there was some sort of a scheduling conflict and uh, they're not able to come on again. I see some person that we need to block in the chat. All right, thank you so much guys, yes. Uh, so sometimes we get these annoying people. Uh, for the most part on, on YouTube, hardly ever happens on Facebook anymore, but we get these annoying people on YouTube and they start posting all sorts of nastiness and ridiculousness, uh, trying to um, defraud people or sell, I don't know, sell sex. I don't know what they're selling really with those comments, but we have the ability to block them from our chat application um, as part of the show, pro the program programming. So we will do that. We will block you. Good morning. You've been blocked. Not today, Bobo. Not in the Cayman Islands. Take it somewhere else. Um, so let me actually also say that uh, I'm going to play a little PSA here this morning. It is in relation to essentially um, Facebook making some changes. So I'm fingers crossed that next week we might be able to have a conversation about the, the changing um, face of media and media trends, particularly here in the Cayman Islands. We're hoping to have an expert on the program who is going to be in a position to talk about um, some data and, and what the data means. And this is data that was pulled from the um, Tower Marketing Report. How much should we put into this? If you're in the world of marketing or if you're a company trying to decide where to spend your advertising dollar, is this the sort of report that you wanna be looking at in order to make your decisions? And so we'll have an expert tell us the importance of surveys and how surveys are done and all that sort of stuff. And then we'll have some industry um, you know, players here in the Cayman Islands talking about the world of media, how things have shifted, where are things going, what can you expect in the future, and that sort of thing. So uh, maybe next week or the week after, because we're actually trying to confirm uh, some guests. So I will definitely get back to you guys in relation to that. Um, and so one of the big things that has happened recently, I don't know if you guys have noticed it, but Facebook has been going through uh, quite a few changes. So they have changed a lot in terms of Facebook pages. And we have noticed the changes and it impacts us in one particular way. So listen to this, because this is really important. We are so super excited uh, for our fifth anniversary to be coming up the end of this month. And of course, as we continue to grow and expand, you know, there's so many things in the world uh, that is assisting us in reaching our audience and really getting our message out there. One of the most amazing platforms is obviously Facebook, which as you guys know, we have dominated since inception, since we started the very first story that we put up um, on our CMR platform was June the 29th of uh, 2017 and it's amazing the platform and, and facebook has changed over the years we have seen you know different um versions of it and now there's a very very big change that has occurred over the last couple of days in terms of business pages which came in my road is a business page so the same meta company owns facebook and instagram so there are some changes that will apply to both but the changes on um, facebook pages is really really quite um, different. 
And so from the perspective as, as an administrator of the Karen Model Road page, we have other administrators. It means a lot on the back end has changed as well. One of the major changes that they have implemented is they've gotten rid of page likes, which is something that we've talked about for a really long time. And we knew that it was in the works and Facebook has been talking about it or now Meta has been talking about it for years. And so it is interesting to see that it has finally, finally come to um, fruition for everyone. Cause I think they were kind of rolling it out over a period of time. So we had over 18,000 plus people who liked our page and those have all now disappeared. So we need your help <laughs> because because although we have almost 70,000 page followers, that's still almost 20,000 people that now would not be getting notifications about our posts and stuff in our pages. So if you previously liked the page, now some people did both. Some people liked it and followed it. And some people only liked it. And it was really confusing because no one understood what the difference was between a page like and a page follow. Well, now, just like Instagram, they're only followers, which I think simplifies everybody's life, to be quite honest. So if you previously liked our page, I'm encouraging you to go now and ensure that you're actually following the page, because this is something that would really, really um, assist you in getting all of the notifications to ensure that you're still keeping up with when we post something on our social media platform, particularly on Facebook. So it's wonderful because you'll get notified when we go live streaming, all the shows, all the posts. And as you guys know, we post quite a bit throughout the day to keep you informed about what's happening in the news of world, not just uh, in the world of news, not just here in the Cayman Islands, but regionally and around the entire world. We're the only news platform that covers everything from birthday greetings, death announcements, lost items from dogs and wallets and money, uh, straight through to all of your entertainment news. We pretty much have you covered a full 360 breadth of um, news. So go to the page, hit that follow button, make sure that you're getting all of your notifications and continue to stay tuned to Cayman Mall Road. Thank you so much for making us Cayman's number one news outlet to get all of your latest breaking news information, weather and regular updates. All right, folks, so there you have it. Uh, that was a pre-recorded message that we posted yesterday on um, our platforms, uh, just to get the word out there that there have been some changes as it relates to Facebook pages, et cetera. Um, and uh, <laughs> I've got some, just messaging someone here. Okay, so so right so it's it's just a change uh like i said in that you know a lot of people were confused over the years about um you know what the difference was even it, it just wasn't clear to people what a page like was and what a page follow was on facebook and they had them very very separated and over the years um Over the years, um, you know, there was a, a sort of rethinking that it didn't really make any sense. So like Instagram, for example, only has page followers. There is no such thing as a page like. 
Um, so there were some differences, but the average person on the street, if you said, what's the difference between a page follow and a page like, they just didn't, they didn't get it. And, uh, it made sense. And I, I kept saying it for years, like, well, why do they have both? And so eventually what they did was, um, they actually removed, uh, page likes and now they only have followers. So very, very similar, um, again, to, um, to Instagram in that regard. So, you know, we had over 18,000. So basically if you, um, liked the page previously, just go back. Cause I've noticed that some of those people, cause you had the option, you could do both. You could like and follow a page. Uh, so like was, you know, basically a person who had chosen to attach their name to a page as a fan. And a follower was someone who was just receiving updates. Um, that things come up on the newsfeed. And really, it was subject to Facebook's algorithm on how you receive those notifications. So a bit strange, but now they've done away with it. So the confusion is uh, far less. But in January of last year, quite interestingly enough, Facebook actually announced that they would be discontinuing the like um, option in favor of just the follow button. And it kind of rolled out over time. So there were some businesses, I think a lot of times Facebook rolls out stuff in the US before the rest of the world gets it. And so um, that didn't come to us until just this week. So just making sure that everyone is on top of that, okay? So just make sure you're following the page because then that's how you get all your notifications. And there are things that we post on social media, to be clear, that we do not um, post anywhere else. You know, it'll get, it's not in the website. Like it's not necessarily a news story in the sense that we can't write a whole post and a whole story about it, but it is still worth a discussion. Uh, sometimes we do this, for example, with some of the celebrity or foreign news, you know, we'll do a screenshot, we'll do a photo, and we'll do a couple little brief paragraphs on social media alone that'll say, hey, this is what's going on. So good morning to Mr. Deniston Tibbetts. So good to see you this morning. TGIF indeed. Miss Beulah has also got it locked. Uh, KK says as default, you don't get any notifications. So there is a way, and maybe one day we'll spend a little bit of time um, having a little tech uh, Thursday moment where we can go through and show you how to like pages, or not like, follow pages now, and um, how you can actually adjust the notifications that you get. Because there is a default um, that Facebook will only send you so many notifications, but there's a certain number of pages that you follow where you can say, listen, I want to get every single notification from this page. And you can actually set that um, in your settings. Good morning to the beautiful Daisy. So good to see you. So we do have um, a guest joining us this morning. Miss Ventisha is joining us. Let me, get, let me get the ministerial name. Oh gosh, these ministerial names are so long. Can I tell you? It's the Ministry of Youth, Sports, Culture, and Heritage. She's going to be joining us uh, this morning to tell us a little bit about an upcoming event that they have. And they want everyone um, to come out to this event to participate. And um, I think it's a good thing. So let's go ahead and welcome her to the program. Good morning. Good morning, Sandra. How are you? We're doing great over here. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Wonderful. Happy Friday. Yes. Happy short week. Yes. It came very, very quickly because, of course, Monday was a public holiday. So Ventisha Connolly is the, let me get your official title here. She's the Events and FOI and Data Protection Manager 
with the um, Ministry of Youth, Sports, Culture, and Heritage, and she's here to tell us about this wonderful event that is coming up. So give us the goods. What's going on? Okay, so um, the ministry is starting to put out a lot of events that we want to, you know, invite the families, come out, you know, enjoy our culture, our heritage, our youth. And one of them we've tied to the Queen's Jubilee. Mm -hmm. So um, a few weeks ago, probably about six weeks ago, we announced the song and jingle competition for mm -hmm. the Queen's Jubilee. And we invited uh, folks in the Cayman Islands to create a jingle that was, you know, about 45 seconds long or a song which could be up to three minutes long. Um, and we had a tremendous amount of uptake from it and some wonderful pieces that were um, submitted for that um, competition. Mm -hmm. So this first event that we're having um, called Saturdays in the Park mm -hmm. is... Uh, the finale of that. So the top five in each category will perform their piece live on stage at the Dart um, Park in the amphitheater. And then we will announce the winners. Mm -hmm. um, also, during that time, we uh, just hosted the um, with YSU, that's the Youth Services Unit, we just hosted the National uh, youth poetry competition. So those three, the, the top three finalists from that um, competition will also join us at the Dark Park and um, give their uh, poem, read their poetry also. Wow. And then nice. to cap things off, um, CNCF, the Cultural Foundation, which falls under the ministry, also did the national playwright competition for as a part of the queen's jubilee um mm. remit and so we're we are actually going to present the winner of that with the ina watler queen's jubilee Play national playwright award hmm. beautiful so it's saturdays in the park um first of many yes we intend to move this event not just to the dart park in south sound but to the park in bottom town to the park in east end to the park in west bay to the park over on the sister islands it's going to be a quarterly event and there'll be something happening um we're looking forward right now to actually i'm looking forward to our christmas one in which we're planning to invite churches their choirs to have a sing-off so it's it's gonna be a it's a moving parts uh, event, um, but this first one is gonna be the kickoff, and I'm really really hoping that the your listening audience will come and join us. It's all free, mm -hmm. um, though we will have a mini marketplace with our craft and food vendors mm -hmm. um, selling their you know their handmade homemade uh, things. Um, the events are always going to be free uh, that we offer to, to the public. And um, we're looking at each time to, to, you know, stepping the game up for mm -hmm. each one. So, folks, this is Saturdays in the Park kicking off uh, this Saturday, which is tomorrow, from 4.30 p.m. until 7 p.m. at the Dark Park in South Sound. Performances by the Song and Jingle Competition winners. So we don't know who the winners are yet. No. Okay. I actually don't know who the winners are yet. Wow. This will be a nice reveal moment. 
um, performances by finalists for the poetry competition, presentation of the Ina Wattler Queen's Jubilee National Playwright Award, and a mini market with craft and food vendors who will be on location. So I love events like this because it's really a wonderful opportunity, folks, for um, us as Caymanians, non-Caymanians, everybody who, re who reside here in the Cayman Islands to get together and partake in a little bit of culture and fellowship and um, enjoy some fun activities. So, you know, our park spaces, we keep talking about, we need more green spaces. And people who say that often don't get out and actually use those green spaces. <laughs> they are there for more than decoration, folks. They're there for you to use and enjoy. And community events, I think, are outdoor community events are a fantastic way in order to, a uh, fantastic way to just, you know, fellowship with people and um, get some fresh air and see what's going out. So grab the kids, grab your husband or wives, your girlfriend, your boyfriends, or just a friend. Um, and come on out to this wonderful event that the ministry has organized and has put on. So I like this. It sounds like a lot of fun. It is going to be a lot of fun. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing all the faces come out and enjoy with us. Um, we'll have nice little cushions for the amphitheater because we know it's, you know, Mm -hmm. a little hard concrete so there'll be cushions to be nice and comfortable while you sit while people sit and enjoy the music and the poetry awesome sounds good so local artisans are going to be selling handmade crafts and snacks uh, for me that's always a fun part of these events it's a free event folks so there's no cost associated with attending uh, probably just walk with some water because sometimes it gets a little hot out there, but come on out and enjoy this wonderful event. Miss Ventisha, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on this morning. All right. So you'll send us, I will post this up on our social media platforms as well. And you'll keep us abreast of any upcoming um, other um, yes. Saturdays yes. in the park. Okay. I will keep you abreast of those. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks a lot. All right, folks. So again, Saturday in the park, the first one is happening this Saturday. So make sure that you come out. Uh, it's a fantastic event, including the um, sing song and jingle competition winners, performances by finalists in the poetry uh, competition. Uh, we've got the presentation of the Ina Wattler Queen's Jubilee National Playwright Award and the mini a mini marketplace with craft and food vendors. So listen, if you're craft and food vendors and maybe you missed this because you didn't know, uh, prepare yourself for next time because you should be there 4.30 to 7 p.m. Um, you know, people love to see arts and crafts and um, they love to have uh, opportunities um, to come out and, uh, you know, make their artistry, their artisans, everything, uh, crafts available. So they're going to be at some of the nearby cabanas. All right. This sounds fantastic, folks. Let's go out and celebrate a little bit of Cayman culture and heritage tomorrow evening. Okay. Sounds good. Beautiful. Who else is here with me? Felicia, good morning. Good morning, Miss Nancy. Nathina is checking in. It's mail time. I feel like we, we need a mail jingle to introduce this segment. Um, so again, this is where we're going to pull out our mail. Now, I am aware that the minister, Sabrina Turner, is actually going to call into the program to answer one of our mail questions. Um, but I think she's getting ready because they're still in parliament today. So they were there until after 10 o'clock last night. Um, good. I love to see your MPs working. You know, they got to earn their keep, folks. So good to see that. 
and uh, we will bring you up to speed on some of the things that's happening in the Legislative Assembly, because I should say that, in fact, there is quite a bit that is going on. All right, so let me print off. Let me see if I can print off my mail questions really quick. Let's have a quick word from the HSA. At the HSA, we know that your time is a precious resource and want to help you spend it wisely. Avoid the wait and request your prescription refills through our website, WhatsApp, or by calling the pharmacy. Use our delivery service if you are vulnerable, elderly, or a civil servant, or pick them up the next day. Your secure health records are at your fingertips with our My HSA Patient Portal and Healthy Life app. Our nine locations throughout all three islands make receiving quality care simple and convenient because your time matters to us. All right, folks, as we go through our mail questions, got them all printed out here, like I said, because sometimes it's hard to remember all where they're at. Um, make sure that uh, you feel free to call in at any time. 936-2626 is the telephone number. And like I said, we're expecting a call from Minister Sabrina Turner this morning. She just wanted to clarify something on one of the questions that we received. Um, so as soon as she is ready, we will pull her into the studio. All right. First one up, like I said, I've got four questions. So bear with us today. Um, hopefully we'll get through all of these for today's segment. First one up says, hi, Sandy. Nice to see you yesterday. Um, and this was, uh, when they said yesterday, this was a Wednesday question and they saw me at the event live streaming from the Beach Bay, um, Oriental Mandarin Oriental Beach Bay Development Project. It's a mouthful. All right. So this person says, hi, Sandy. Nice to see you yesterday. From my U.S. perspective, we are an American. I was impressed with the meeting yesterday, not uh, with the entitled idiots. Ooh, wow. Okay. But the rest of the people honestly seemed to be there to talk uh, things out and were listening. I was truly impressed with Chris Saunders and his responses. I'm not sure of anywhere else in the world that you're going to have multiple high-level government officials, the developer, the architects, um, Heber Arch, et cetera, have an open dialogue with the public about a project of this magnitude. The arguments were crazy at times, especially when people were complaining about not having access to trails on private land. This is usually considered trespassing, and they should be thankful for all the years it was available. Hmm. Unfortunately, there are only two options with business and nations. You're either growing or declining, and it is basically impossible to stay uh, status quo for any length of time. The residents were complaining about the overdevelopment of Seven Mile Beach and traffic heading into town. Well, this seems to be this seems to help with both of these and also adds much needed jobs where people do not have to travel so far. The duty revenue from hotels is very important to all of us. It is why these people get to enjoy the amazing tax levels of Cayman. Let's all be thankful people still want to develop big projects here. I view hotels as a much better investment for the island over places like Vela, where it is such where it is just a one-time stamp duty. This really is an amazing country and the accomplishments of a accomplishments of a country with so few people should make all Caymanians proud. Also, the generalization with Caymanians not wanting to work is unfair. It is truly more of a generational issue at the moment, everywhere in the world. Uh, this, is exact, this is the same exact complaint from my friends in the U.S. and my family in Europe. 
the younger generation is not motivated the same as previous generations. There are some amazing statistics on this subject. Work, family, and income used to be the main priorities for people. Now it's something like free time and friends. I will see if I can find the data. All right, well, send it through to us. Um, so there's quite a bit in this first um, mail that has uh, been received by CMR. So first of all, thank you to the person who submitted it. And um, yes, there, there's a lot to digest in here. So I guess we can have a little crack at some of it. Uh, this idea, the first um, bit about, you know, it's unusual to have a um, developer and different aspects of the project actually, um, you know, participate in such a public meeting. I think that is important because I do feel that um, sometimes people in this community forget that these are actually um, private they're private properties and they are also, um, you know, private projects. So yes, they do have an impact on the community. And I think anyone who's sensible will want to ensure that uh, they engage with the public at some level. But the truth of the matter is they don't really have to, you know, I mean, let's just be quite honest here. Uh, the person made the point that um, there seemed to be a lot of people there who were entitled talking about accessing private property and if we can continue to access private property. I think that sometimes in Cayman, we're doing certain things and we are accessing private property and we don't even know it. Here's another example of that. Um, a lot of the DART properties, DART owns a lot on this island in case you missed that memo. And sometimes you're accessing his private property and you don't even know it. Perfect example was Easter Camp and I mentioned this earlier in the week. Uh, you know, all of the ones up by Rum Point, people go, you know, just because it's not developed and he hasn't done anything with it yet, that's not government property and that's not public property. Those are private property um, spaces that people are utilizing. And in some cases, not just utilizing, but abusing as well. And so, you know, when you see him put out the garbage, um, him being the DART organization, put out the garbage uh, bins and the porta potties and so forth, it's because they're trying to encourage people to use their private properties, um, you know, as, as um, well as they can. Good morning. Hello? Oh, that's yeah, a, that's like you. Hi. Yeah, hi. I'd like to make a, a point about what you're discussing regarding private property. Yes. I agree with what the uh, person has said, but the person needs to be aware that we have a law regarding called the prescription law that allows if something has been in use for, uh, I can't remember exact time right now, for whatever reason it slips me, but uh, you acquire prescription rights. That's what the debate is about um, regarding the beach access and um, the public wants the government to respect the law and recognize those access rights. Um, I know it's contentious, but if the government doesn't want the contention to exist and abolish the law or respect the law, but it can't just have a law in the books and then ignore it because that, that, that sends the wrong message. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, Danny, just, yes, give me, um, give me one quick second. The minister is really a bit cramped for time this morning. So she is going to call in. Let me just see. Did you call straight line or in WhatsApp? You're in straight line. So I'm just going to ask yeah. you to hold uh, as she calls in, because I do want to return. I think you're making a very important okay. point here, and I do want to return to that. Um, so we are waiting on uh, Minister Turner to join us. She just has a, and let me read um, her question. That's her now. So um, good morning, Minister. Good morning, Sandra. How are you? I'm good. So hold on one second. Let me find the question as it relates to, uh, we're going through a mailbag question. So um, so someone sent in a question. Um, actually, we had multiple people send mm-hmm. in questions about um testing so someone said let me just see where i put this in my little mailbag here uh so um someone basically said that they understood that they had heard this that there was uh testing um they said there sandy just heard this yesterday i don't know if you know that cruise ship passengers that come into the island do not have to take an lft test so that was the first time i heard that yesterday and then i had someone else on Facebook, um, tag me in a comment because someone was asking about what was required to go to the US in terms of vaccination. And if they mm-hmm. only had one uh, vaccine, if they could get into the US, of course, you know that that's not going to happen, right? So the US right. has their set of rules. And then someone tagged me, this was in the women's group. And they said, um, you know, why are we, um, why are we uh, having to like test and do all this stuff when the cruise shippers are coming in and they're not testing. So there seems to be some information Mm -hmm. out in the public domain about people who come in via cruise ships, not testing. You're the minister of health and wellness. What can you tell us about this? Okay. Um, I'm, I think a lot more education in regards to the regulations that govern uh, the arrival of cruise ship passengers and a distinction between air and cruise needs to be done. I know that my colleague, the Honorable uh, Minister for Tourism and Transport uh, said it, but again, constant reinforcement is key. Mm -hmm. When we began to consider the reintroduction of cruise tourism, a number of stakeholder meetings were had where Ministry of Health and Wellness being represented by the Chief Officer and CMO, especially Public Health, were involved along with the Ministry of Tourism and their, their, their senior staff. And one of the things that was presented the cabinet for us to agree with the plan is that the minister of tourism went to went out to town with his team and they had something like a rating system now these were in the early days where the various cruise lines uh we bat really hard and the minister bat even harder that came on upon introduction of, of cruise was their first port of call now we know at the beginning it was only one that stepped up to the plate for uh-huh. us to get back to see how we would handle it stepped up to the plate and that one line said hey we're going to give you first port of call uh-huh. but we know long term logistically it couldn't work um and at the time the the policies and the engagements the protocols that were in place for while persons were on the cruise ships that only vaccinated passengers and all of their crew and staff had to be fully vaccinated um, met the requirements that would have satisfied us to start introduction of cruise tourism. Mm-hmm. Now, we also asked that they would do testing before disembarkation, but being first protocol, the cruise line saying, look, you can't cruise unless you're fully vaccinated. 
um, that metal requirement, if we were first protocol, so your risk level would not have been an issue. Where we got into other cruise lines now asking, saying, well, hey, what if we stop at Jamaica first? What if we do Cozumel? What if we're in a route back? Uh, will you entertain us? That's uh-huh. where it got a little tricky. More discussions went in. CMO went, sat at the table and said, well, show me what your protocols are for all of these passengers whilst they're on your cruise ship. Uh-huh. Well, we knew they satisfied us that all passengers would have been fully vaccinated. And we have a port health officer that is out there and they have to report back should anybody get sick on the cruise ship and they're not allowed to disembark um, once they showed flu-like symptoms. Uh But this buy-in that every passenger coming off a cruise ship had to do a certified LFT before disembarkation into Grand Cayman was not accepted or wasn't actually um, not accepted. They were reluctant to introduce it because of the processing time and it got into well, who would be responsible for it? Would it be the Cayman Islands? Would it be the cruise lines? Uh-huh. So with all the other protocols, knowing the reporting mechanisms of any illness, be it COVID or any type of illness, uh-huh. it could have been, let's say, um, food poisoning. Uh-huh. That has to be reported. And you have to satisfy the port health officer who is in constant contact with the head of public health and CMO. We were satisfied. Now, once those cruise ship passengers come off of that tender Uh and land on this soil. The public health protocols does not go away for them Uh as it, they have to adhere to the same public health protocols that is applies to us as residents Uh and air travel. So this concept that cruise ship passengers were handled totally differently once they got off the ship is incorrect. Uh We're here, we're living, we know that mask mandates for indoor activities is still in the current regulation. It's the same thing that is required of the cruise passengers when they go into stores and restaurants, even if they're only here for three or four hours. Uh And that has been a fight. I know since the complaints that we have gotten from a lot of the business establishments along the waterfront, that they have complained that the passengers do not want to wear their masks. A lot of them are very rude to the staff. I know that the Ministry of Tourism and Transport communicated back to the various cruise cruise lines and say, look, once your passengers, please educate them, please do some printed material. These are the current local public health protocols that they must adhere to once they're on shore. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've noticed that some of the complaints have diminished. However, people will be people. You will have some who adhere. You will have some that re- respect it. And then you'll have those who are saying, well, I'm not going to spend my money in your store because I don't want to wear my mask. Uh-huh. So that's what this government is grappling with. But I think that the, the whole concept that cruise ship passengers were treated totally differently from the residents, that we were being held hostage and they got a free pass. Uh-huh. A little bit more of education, maybe at this granular level, could have been done. Uh-huh. And um, I'm hoping that my explanation in this shortened time um, helps that, demystify uh-huh. that. Now, we know moving forward, we're living with it. We're getting to the point where if the cruise ship industry now is saying, look, we're living with COVID, our passenger will be a mix of people. I have to engage more with the ministry to see if anything has changed. But as it is today, um, Anyone disembarking those ship has to adhere to all local uh, public health protocols as it is. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so we have someone who's listening. They say that what is happening is cruise ship passengers are not wearing masks, and mm -hmm. when they're told to, when they're told to, they throw a hissy fit, even though yeah. all stores still have up signage with the mandate. So, just a question. I don't know if you know this or not, because this is more related to on the tourism and the port side. But do we have um, loudspeakers at the port? You know, when they're waiting to be processed by uh, CBC or whoever they disembark, whatever that that procedure is, there's an opportunity there of at least a couple minutes where we could be doing repetitive messages over a loudspeaker, say, welcome to the Cayman Islands, you know, one of the safest jurisdictions in the world. And we want to keep it that way. Please wear your mask, mask are mandatory in public spaces where you can't adhere to, you know, mm -hmm. the six feet um, indoors, as well as, um, you know, everyone has been PCR tested or something. Like, I feel like yeah, there yeah, could gotcha. be more that could be done by way of um, announcements to yeah. the passengers even as they disembark and right have free disposable mask available for them in case maybe they left theirs on the ship or they forgot it or well, whatever um I've where people can handle some it. of yeah some of the stores actually along waterfront are given the mask but mm -hmm. a lot of the the persons who are just saying i'm over mask i don't wear it in the united states i don't wear it from where i'm coming from i uh -huh. just don't want it who are you i'm hurting you by not coming into your store and you're blocking me just because of a mask that's their attitude uh -huh. um it's it's collective as an elected government as your minister of health wellness and home affairs we have to do the right thing currently the regulations are in place we still have the mandate we're revising that and hopefully um we will have a new set of regulations at the end of of, of june uh -huh. But to be honest with you, the government alone has made the regulations. We alone can't fight this. We need the cooperation of the business partners as well to uphold our laws. Mm -hmm. And um, you have it in the palm of your hand. It is a public health regulation mm -hmm. that indoors you must wear your mask. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. until that falls away, these are tourists, these are visitors to ashore for a few hours. I must say, that a number of the reports have gotten back from the business establishment along the waterfront that engage with the cruise passengers most are saying, for the most part, you do have those who say, yes, I got the letter under my door, letting us know what the, the, the protocols are for the Cayman Islands. But you will have those that are just, you know, they're against it. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's just how the world is, unfortunately. But yes. we all have a responsibility as business owners, as locals. If the protocols, uh, public health protocol says, this is what you have to do, when, even when you're in a tour bus, it's up to that tour bus operator to be an example setter, wear your mask properly, uh -huh. put your signage there before they enter their bus. These yes. are the public health protocols. Um, please respect our, our country. Uh, you know, until this is, is removed or whatever, they have a part to play. We all are ambassadors with holding mm -hmm. up our public health protocols until we get to the next phase where let's say it's recommended. However, we will continue to be guided by the science. But as it is right now, mm -hmm. uh, and of course the data that we're now coming out from the Ministry of Health reporting the communicable and non-communicable disease is much clearer. So you can see what's happening, but we all have a part to play if mm -hmm. we're going to get through this together. Thank you so much, Minister. Really appreciate you Thank jumping you. in the program. One quick question. Mm -hmm. um, do we have any updates on that one case, that one chickenpox case that was being tested for monkeypox? Anything on that as yet? 
I haven't been I haven't gotten anything any further updates as okay. yet. I know that the samples that were taken and sent off to CARFA, we're still waiting for it because even though we do genomic sequencing here, we don't have the necessary kits uh, that will actually allow us at this second, at this moment, but it's in short order to do the testing to find uh, out for monkeypox. But again, that's one of the good things. We have the skill sets in our public health, Mr. Smilly and his team, we just need the, the, the correct testing um, apparatus in order for us to help ourselves. Mm -hmm. But as soon as we do get confirmation as to what that was, the samples that were sent off, um, the public will be informed. Okay. All right. Right well, now you. we have a responsibility to just continue to do the non-public non health protocols, mm -hmm. sanitize your hands and you know, if you're in really dense areas and crowds and all that sort of stuff and you're uncomfortable, put on your mask. Once you're indoors, it's still mandatory. Yes. And, and you know, for monkeypox, not that we have any cases mm -hmm. yet, but chickenpox seems to be in the community. Um, you know, close physical and physical contact, um, yeah. you know, is important. So don't go around touching yes. people. <laughs> we all have a right to just be responsible and we yes. all got to do this together. So right. thank, you thank you so, so much. much. And I appreciate hope that, the, that your guest has been informed. Thank you again. Have okay. a good day. I appreciate it. Sure. All right. And the minister's off um, to parliament this morning. So again, um, the government is, uh, they started in parliament on Wednesday. So that continues. So we appreciate the minister taking time out of her busy schedule. Mr. Denny Warren is still on hold. Junior. Good morning, Senor Denny Warren, Jr. So um, you were speaking about this concept of prescriptive rights in relation to her first question that or comment really that came in where someone said, you know, um, that people feel seem to have an entitlement to uh, private property because, um, you know, I guess maybe they've been using it for a while. Do you know off the top of your head, Denny, what the prescriptive laws are here in the Cayman Islands? Um, I, if I'm remembering correctly, I think it's like, you have to have like continuous use for like 20 years. Mm -hmm. I think it is something like that. Yes. That sounds um, about right. So there is something and, called the prescription law 1997, yeah. um, which was brought about by the prescription amendment law, 2017. And really, um, it provides or provided a statutory remedy to end, um, a conflict over, uh, property access, a lot of times beach beachfront property that people have been accessing for a particular uh, period of time. So um, this is a 2007 section nine of the prescription law uh, edition. And really what it did was um, number one, it formed a dedicated government department with responsibility for ensuring access to public beaches, which would be um, where people can make an application to the grand court to resolve a dispute regarding public beach access and permitting an application to be made to have a dispute settled regarding access to a public beach. I believe the prescriptive right is 20 years. I'm just having a quick perusal to just confirm so, um, Denny, your position is uh, in relation to our first mailbag question is, yes, that is true up to point. But the law says, here we go. It says, when any beach has been used by the public and any road, track or pathway passing over any land adjoining or adjacent to such beach has been used by the public without interruption for 20 years, the public shall have the absolute and indefe indefeasible uh, right to use such Let's beach. Say that word again. In, in the, hold on. 
in the no, it's not that you, it's not that you said it wrong <laughs> it's just that it's a very important word yeah indefeasible right um to use such beach land uh, road track or pathway unless it appears that the same was enjoyed by some consent or uh, agreement expressly made or given for that purpose by deed or writing right so unless they had some if the if the owner said yeah you can access my land i allow you to do that mm -hmm. right then you don't acquire a prescriptive right because anytime he withdraw that consent you're you can't cross his property anymore but in the absence of such an agreement a right exists and I mean, and because it's the public, who who would have, um, I mean, this kind of is a very interesting, you know, even subsection of this, because how would a how would a landowner have gone about um, giving you access? I suppose by signage. So I, th I think the, right. the DART landowners are pretty smart about this because they do that's have right. signage up that it's owned by them. And, you know, as long as it's undeveloped, they um, welcome responsible use of the properties as they do during the Easter camping. And people should not mistake that for prescriptive right. That's right. And and you see like you walk into a supermarket and it says, well, uh, shirt and sandals are required or shoes are required. Mm -hmm. That That's a, that's a um, you're making a contractual agreement with the store that you're gonna enter on that basis. Mm -hmm. If you don't want to agree to those conditions, then you don't enter the store. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. but those right those those rights do exist. Mm -hmm. Right. All and, right. And and I th I think the government the government has been dragging its feet dealing with this, and I think it's a shame because it's either you respect the law or you do away with the law. Mm -hmm. But you should you can't you can't have the government disregarding the law, but then at the same time arresting and putting in prison people for disregarding law. Mm -hmm. You can't do that. That doesn't work. Right. Okay. Thank you so much. Right, Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Thank you. I did see Mr. George also calling into the program. Mr. George, feel free to call back. Um, so that's our first mailbag question. So uh, interesting point there about developers, um, uh, prescriptive rights and so on. Um, the other point of interest that I thought, uh, well, the person said that the arguments are crazy at times. Um, right. Uh, so, yeah, this person thought it was a good thing to have MPs there. And, you know, I also thought it was good. I did make an observation, and this is just me making an observation, that the only MPs that were there were part of the PAC government. So... You know, nobody else showed up. <laughs> so the opposition certainly didn't show up. But we had ministers, Chris Saunders, Minister um, J.E. Banks. We had parliamentary secretaries, um, uh, Heather Bodden and um, Dwayne John John Seymour. So those were the four that I saw. I did not see anybody else um, from the PAC government. And I certainly did not see anyone from the opposition. So... Um, some other interesting points is about growth. Uh, and I think the person makes a point here. I mean, you only have two ways to, to go uh, in terms of countries and what happens. You either maintain the status quo. Um, well, he, the person says it's impossible to, to stay the status quo for any length of time. So you're either growing or you're declining. Now, in relation to that, um, 
And Mr. George, feel free to call back. My apologies that, uh, you know, the lines are busy when you call just now. But in relation to that, I do think that it is it is interesting um, that you say the, that you make the point about um, growth, because even now the economy is starting to contract. Right. We're, we're heading for a recession. And uh, what that means, folks, is that. I see more of these annoying people on Facebook today and YouTube streaming. What that means, folks, is that, um, you know, at the end of the day, we um, will feel the pinch of that. And of course, it is interesting because no one wants a recession, right? Everybody is like, oh, we have to continue to, um, to grow in order for you to continue to be able to pay your bills even. Inflation is up. So in order to counter inflation, one of the things you want is the economy to continue to grow as well, jobs to become available for you to be able to make money. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like the way that we think is a little bit counterintuitive to what is actually happening in the real world. So here's an example. We don't want growth. This is what some people say. We don't want, want growth. We want to maintain the status quo. We like it exactly how it is. But the cost of living is going up. Inflation is not something that we can control. I love when people say the government must do something about inflation. What do you expect the government to do? This is a worldwide situation. What exactly do you want the government to do? I'm trying to find an article that someone shared with me. I can't remember if it was in The Economist or where it was, but it was a very, very interesting article about not only are we going to be concerned about inflation here in a second, but there's something else called I'm trying to remember what the um, what the actual economic term was for it. Um, morning, Denny. Just trying to find this article about. I know I read it. Um, sorry, Denny. Sorry. Go ahead. I say you're hitting all the buttons this morning. <laughs> eh, yes, um, do tell. The gov the government can do something about inflation, but not completely. Um, there's inflation that's imported. Uh, the problem that we have is, first of all, we had the unfortunate situation of the um, virus shutting down economies that caused um, the scarcity. One, one, one second for me, Denny. George keeps calling. So let me just pull in George for one quick second because I think his comment might be a little bit more condensed and shorter. Just one second for me. Good morning, Senor George. How are you? Good morning. How are you, Miss Sandy? Not too bad, not too bad. Good, What's on good, your mind? Good, good, I put, good, I put good. Denny on hold for you this morning because I figured your point might have been well, a little okay, bit quicker. Senior citizens. Senior citizens. <laughs> yeah, senior citizen privileges, yes. Senior citizens, yes. Um, I saw um, some comments on your chat. Oh, that's those annoying YouTube spammers, right? We blocked them. Don't worry. They've been blocked. And they keep coming. They keep coming this morning. So I don't know what's going on. But we keep blocking them as they pop up. Anyhow, no problem. Um, the lady that was on there just now talking about the uh, the Jubilee. Um, I don't know because I don't know if anyone else has the problem of calling some of these um government places because mm -hmm. you can't get through to them it's all it i mean 
I've been calling certain government places nine o'clock in the morning and it's an answering machine on. Oh, and I don't know why. That mm-hmm. I mean, I, I volunteer to work free just to answer the phone for people because it's annoying sometimes. People don't have, um, you know, a amount of credit on their phone and they're telling you, well, no one is available now, but uh, we'll get back and nobody gets back. Um, I did um, something for the um, Queen's Jubilee. I did a, a poem. I, I, I delivered it at the uh, class, the government building myself. And up until now, I didn't get a reply saying, we received your, you know, what you said in or nothing. Mm-hmm. And I'm hearing the leader saying now that um, they contacted people and whatnot, even if it wasn't acceptable enough. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it would be nice for whoever, whichever office, I think it was the protocols office, I'm not 100% sure. I called around and I think mm-hmm. it was the protocols office to just call out and say, well, you know, we received your um, whatever, whatever. Thank so this you. was this was but for the nothing. song jingle submission. Um, it was a point for the point. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then point and um, oh. nothing. I heard nothing at all until now. She's talking about it, you know. And it's it's not only that. Like I said, the government buildings, people are sitting there by the phone, but they just want answer. The phone nine o'clock in the morning, you know. I I don't know if anybody else has that problem, but I I, I have a big issue with that. Mm. You know, most of the government places, there's nobody that you can talk to now. It's only answering machine, you know. Mm. So that's my, just my piece for today. Okay, we don't want that long. Thank yes, you. Thank you but so I, much. Thank you. All right, my dear. Thanks, too. All right. So I'm not quite sure what information I have in relation to that. But, um, you know, hopefully some people are listening to the program this morning who can reach out to him. I think it's just common courtesy. And it's so nice when you submit something that people respond. I mean, I don't know how hard it is in this day and age to simply respond to an email. Um, Mind you, you know, these are government entities that have staff available to them. You know, sometimes I might not respond to you because it's just like me checking emails, but when it's government and, and sort of businesses um, that you apply to jobs and other things to, you do expect some sort of a response. So just courtesy, it's just business courtesy. If you, if you apply for competition, um, even having an automated message sometimes is useful to say that, um, you know, uh, if you don't hear from us by such and such a date, that means that you're, you did not make a final list and you were not successful with your poem submissions or whatever. So that then people know what the rules are instead of thinking, well, did they ever even receive my poem? You know, sometimes Take, for example, in yesterday's program, there was this whole thing where um, Miss Marie was saying that, you know, they're having some issues with the emails uh, into the food bank. And so if you apply during that process, um, you might not get a response. And Woody was like, what? I didn't know about this. This is clearly something that we need to fix. Yeah. When people send you and they apply, you, you create an avenue for them to apply for something. And that avenue should be monitored and should be responded to. All right, Sir Denny. Um, you haven't officially that, been knighted, but I'll call you Sir Danny anyway. <laughs> um, 
I would, I, I'm saying that when the world got locked down, you had a reduction in manufacturing uh, goods mm-hmm. and services were impacted as well because people had to quarantine. Mm-hmm. That got compounded uh, for, for more directly for us when the U.S. started handing out uh, what is it? how much trillion dollars it was they gave away in relation to uh, to help people in the lockdown, right? And so what happened is that that money, all of that money then started to say, well, I, I need to buy what goods are available. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the people who are producing those goods are thinking, well, shh. Am I going to have enough to keep me going? Mm-hmm. They start raising prices. And the money keeps coming, and so the prices keep going up. And the problem is, is that we import that inflation. Mm-hmm. But what the part that we can do something about is not overspend. So we have to, we have to be careful not to do the same thing, as in give away too much money, and spend too much money because because that has to be paid for. If the government is borrowing money to give away, like the what was it, 250 million, I think it was they uh, initially got from the um, the bank when the lockdown began. I can't remember the numbers right off now, mm-hmm. but but that has to be repaid, and that's going to show up as inflation. Mm. So, so it, you're not going to see it right at this moment. This is something that we're going to feel over time. What we're feeling right now are decisions that were made way back. What we're going to feel in the future depends on how long we, how much um, damage was done when those commitments were made to borrow money. Mm-hmm. Will the interest rates change going forward? Remember, for the past thirty years, the interest rates in the U.S. has been going down. Now they're on the way up and it's going to get painful. So don't hang your hat too high. We're going to feel a good. That's a good, (laughs) that is good advice, I think, for um, both consumers and the government because individual consumers have an obligation to tighten their belt when we are heading into a recession or when things are happening around the world, when inflation is at a all time four decade, you know, high rates. Um, and I feel like, you know, when I, when I read comments on social media and I see that, see the way the average person thinks they do not appreciate their role in any of this. They think it's all up to the government. The government must fix everything. The government must fix the cost of living. They must make everything affordable for me. They don't understand how they have a responsibility themselves, as you say, cut back on spending, holding off on on certain purchases. Um, You know, there's a lot that we as individuals could be doing as well. You know what else CMR could do? CMR could advocate that we put financial literacy in the education system. Well, I'm advocating for all kind of literacy. And, Cultural, and, well, financial, the, everything. I, I <laughs> Family planning that. is also important because, listen, trying to survive in this world financially with one child or two children versus five, six, and ten children, it's a world of difference. 
So even even having this conversation with women about why you need to have five children or or men, let me be very very clear. Yeah, but doing that in the absence of of the context of economics. No, I mean no, for sure. I mean you've. I mean I I've tried to break it down more ways than one. But you know uh, even our young men who are going out there populating, you know some of them at the age of twenty five and thirty already have eight, nine, and ten children, and they're they're going to be fertile, probably into their 80s. And there seems to be nothing that is stopping some of them from continuing to populate. And, you know, they have this attitude that, oh, I'm a Caymanian, we need more Caymanians. Yeah, but we need Caymanians who can actually afford to survive and not going to be a burden on the government or on the community. And well, actually, at that point right there is something the government can do something about because the policies of the government will dictate whether the rules are skewed in favor of people who come here for investment purposes or those who live and work here and will move up the ladder and so forth. But it all begins with properly preparing uh, people to be functional in society Mm -hmm. so that they could take advantage of those opportunities when they come. So it it doesn't make sense that whenever your economy is expanding, that that get taken up by people who are not from here so that there's no room for those who are remaining. Right. Those, and, 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 are- and of course, the, the real balance has to be that in this uh, economy that we've created, where we rely mostly um, at least 50% on foreign labor for the industries that are here and for the businesses that are here, it's a problem. Because even if every single Caymanian was employed, and there was zero unemployment, we still have to import labor into this country. And so there is that as a consideration. But let me have our listeners listen to this. I found the article that I was just mentioning that I had read a couple of days ago. A big shout out to the person who shared it. So it says that the World Bank says that most countries are headed for a recession and warns of a possible return to the 1970s. I think this is called stagflation, which I've never heard of in my life. But of course, you know, I was born in the 70s. So there's so much that is happening with the world economy that I think when you're a certain age and you don't have that level of, you know, I'm not an economist, I'm not an expert in this area. When I hear stuff like this, I'm like, what? I've never heard this before, but it was before my time. But there's cycles, even in, in you know, economic processes, there are cycles, there's repression, um, recessions, there are depressions. Um, nobody wants to see the depression of what was that, the 1940s ever return. But let's have a listen to this, Denny, Denny stand by one second. Oh, did I hit the? There we go. Oh, here I was thinking that this was actually going to be um, <laughs> that this was actually going to be a uh, an audio that our radio listeners can listen to because I'm very very cognizant. Hold on one second of the fact that they uh, aren't able to read because they're listening. But let me tell you what stagflation is, because I, I don't even know what the hell stagflation is. This is new for me. All right, here, let's let's listen to another one here. Investors are bracing for sharp changes in financial markets. After nearly three decades of calm, inflation has exploded in advanced economies around the world. As a result, it might be harder to find a job soon. Forecasters think global growth is going to stall. American households are pretty unhappy. And when the households are unhappy, 
they tend to spend a little less. We've had that yield curve inversion. That's something that we're looking at. But I wouldn't say that recession's on the horizon for the next six, 12 months or so. The top financial authorities in the U.S. hope this all blows over quickly. They're making lending more expensive to control inflation before it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. But the only tool that the Fed really has to bring inflation down is to let interest rates rise to whatever level it takes to cause a recession, which then breaks the back of inflation. Investors believe the central bank will lift interest rates to 2.5% or higher in 2022. This is what you have to do, slow down the economy in order to take that steam out of the system, the steam of inflation, which eventually can burn you really badly. The big risk is a repeat of one of the worst chapters in American history. Escalating prices. You know, the 1970s were a really hard time. Now we're in a new mistake where inflation has lasted longer and looks like it could risk being around for longer than they had hoped. Can the Fed engineer its soft landing or will stagflation return to the U.S.? Stagflation describes the dual threat of stagnant economic growth and persistent inflation. It can happen when a central bank tightens its economy in an attempt to keep prices in check, but an unexpected shock keeps those prices marching upward. Inflation hit 8.5% in March 2022. That's the fastest monthly change since 1981. I think if you ask anybody, rich or poor, they're going to say, yeah, I'm definitely seeing it in my food costs. I'm definitely seeing it when I'm, I'm putting gas in my car. Americans haven't seen anything like stagflation since the 1970s. Central bankers call this era the Great Inflation. That was a decade of persistent economic mismanagement. For years and years, the Federal Reserve attempted not very hard to control inflation and in the end persuaded itself that it couldn't control inflation. Meanwhile, fiscal policy was stepping pretty hard on the gas pedal and that kicked off a round of the economy persistently being overheated. As this financial crisis unfolded, funding for public services dried up, cities like New York fell into disrepair, and labor unions went on strike across the country. The financial problems went mainstream as gasoline prices ramped up. We'd have to line up at the gas station on alternate days, depending on what your license plate number was, and you could get gas. And that really led to a significant inflationary spiral. Richard Fisher led the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas from 2005 to 2015. Now, the chairman of the Federal Reserve then was a man named Arthur Burns. Before Arthur Burns, they just looked at all the data. And then he stripped out one or two variables, gasoline, which is variable in price, that is fuel and energy, and then food. But by the end, he was stripping out almost everything. And he turned out, brilliant economist that he was, to probably be the most disgraced Federal Reserve chairman in history. 1973 dramatized U.S. dependence on foreign oil. He was also struck by some exceedingly bad luck in the form of the two oil price shocks that were delivered by OPEC. The Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries imposed its boycott and within a year raised prices more than 300 percent. That, of course, sent shockwaves through the U.S. economy in the form of higher gasoline prices. So you had rising inflation at the same time that you had the unemployment rate going up, which was stagflation. It was against a backdrop of a lot of policy mistakes, already inflationary environment. Inflation had tripled in the 1960s during the Vietnam War, but also was being forced. And there are memos saying that the changes that they were making would actually, some of those policies would result in double digit inflation. The Fed's warning to Washington politicians came true in 1974. 
That year, prices across all categories rose more than 10%. A new president stepped in with a plea. We must whip inflation right now. The president lost his fight, and prices kept rising. Public trust in government was on the decline. When we try to beat inflation with borrowed money, we just make the problem worse. President Carter appointed the economist Paul Volcker to lead the Fed and asked him to do whatever it took to rein in prices after a decade of explosive growth. Mr. Volcker then began to tighten monetary policy and took those interest rates all the way up to about 18 percent, created a recession, which was the only way to solve the problem of hyperinflation at the time. He became immensely unpopular. There were countless death threats against Mr. Volcker. The Fed uses its federal funds rate to control the cost of loans. Under Volcker, the federal funds rate shot to nearly 20 percent. High interest rates discourage investment and job creation. The 1970s were really the result of a two-decade-long inflation, the inflation that Paul Volcker broke the back of in a very bloody manner. It was incredibly excruciatingly painful. And what they have shown central bankers, not only in the United States, but around the globe ever since, is the central bankers can control inflation. And to an important extent, we've been benefiting from the economic dividends associated with low and stable inflation ever since. And all of that is thanks to the leadership of Paul Volcker. Changes and prices often play leapfrog. Many things have changed in the U.S. since then. For example, fewer workers have their pay tied to changes in the inflation rate. As a result, wage growth has stagnated for four decades in America. Workers at Amazon warehouses, Starbucks cafes, and Apple retail stores are fighting for new benefits. Union membership is down sharply since its heyday. If more workers organize, that could push wages up. Investors also seem to think this inflation is different than the 1970s. That episode absolutely spooked people, enough to send money flying out of bond markets. When was the last time inflation was actually this high? You're looking at the early 1980s. I think you're pushing almost 13% in the 10-year treasury versus now. I think we're looking at 2.6, 2.7. Bond yield data can show how much people expect prices to keep rising. If the yield rate is high, as it was in the 1970s, it means investors won't fork out cash without the promise of a big payday. The Fed can distort these markets for safe debt, and they have for more than a decade. But that era is coming to an end. I would say that over the next several months, you're probably going to see the Federal Reserve stick to their calls and say, you might start looking at reducing the balance sheet. And that's also going to have a, an impact on the bond market, equity market, as well as the consumers and, and what they're going to feel in their wallets as, as far as what they're paying for. Over time, the threat of stagflation faded as advanced economies relied on cheaper labor abroad to produce goods. An entire generation of investors have enjoyed consistent returns as a result. This upcoming chapter could be different. They need to tighten up on the money supply and tighten up on the stimulus that the Fed gives with these very low interest rates. And I believe they will and keep us from getting out of hand. For investors, this is going to be, I think, a bit of a shock. And that's an understatement. Investors don't have any muscle memory of what it's really like for the Fed to actually fight inflation versus preempting or just adjusting rates to be in sync with a stronger economy. Expectations of future inflation are back on the uptick. This puts the central bank in a tough position. Over the past two financial crises, they bought bonds at a scale never before seen. Now they're scaling that stimulus back while hiking interest rates at the same time. What the worry is, is that there's a lot of 
law of unintended consequences that kick in as the Fed starts both raising short-term rates and then amplifying those rate hikes by reducing their holdings of things like treasury bonds and mortgage-backed securities. And there is no real roadmap to do this. Energy prices could be the source of inflation in America for years to come. Russia's war in Ukraine sent gasoline prices up, and that is making other products more expensive. Well, let's think of a, a grocery store you go into. It has to be air conditioned. Secondly, a lot of frozen food, that takes energy. Uh, and one begins to build on the other. In the 1970s, the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries controlled global supply. OPEC's actions drove gasoline prices sky high in the past. Today, OPEC is a partner to Russia, a major exporter in its own right. The U.S. and its allies want to wean themselves off of this supply. During the 1970s, the U.S. was a huge net importer of oil. We saw dramatic growth in the volumes of energy provided by oil and natural gas. When the world price of oil went up, we were hit badly in two ways. Prices of domestic goods, like gasoline, went through the roof. And secondly, it was like we were shipping some of our income to for foreign producers. So it was an adverse uh, shock. It caused unemployment to go up. The big shift today is that we produce about as much oil as we consume on average. And so when the world price of oil goes up, as a nation, we don't suffer nearly to the same extent. Many things remain unsettled when it comes to the future, but one thing is certain. That clean energy transition is not just coming, it is here. Researchers say climate regulations will introduce new risks to the market. The financial industry could end up favoring sustainable assets and penalizing polluters, but demand for both products will ebb and flow, taking commodity prices along for the ride. The swings could lead to a boom-bust cycle that regularly affects the finances of households in the States and abroad. I would say that this de next decade might look different, and with that, I would expect more volatility. So what can regular people do if rocky times are ahead? If you're between the age of 18 and 25, the unemployment rate in the United States is 2%. It gives workers enormous bargaining power. And this is what's known as a wage price spiral. And we're in the midst of it right now. And the Federal Reserve's job is to quell that pressure by tightening monetary policy, and they're just beginning. We do have a labor market that is finally allowed some people to stand in the sun and see their wages increase. That said, that sort of ease with which we find jobs is not gonna be quite as easy this is a difficult period of time to be sure. Inflation is higher today than it has been for 40 years, but I think there's some reasons for optimism. For one thing, the Federal Reserve has credibility today, which it did not have when Paul Volcker took office. That credibility turns out to be a critically important asset for a central bank because inflation to an important degree is a self-fulfilling prophecy. I wouldn't also be scared and worried about all this uncertainty of what might unfold. I would look at it as an opportunity. Where I find people get caught in trouble the most is trying to live the champagne lifestyle on this beer budget. Make sure that every single dollar is earmarked, whether it's going to an investment account, a checking account, rain it in, the more that cushion for that rainy day because that rainy day will be coming. All right, folks, you heard it. The rainy day is coming. Rain it in. Um, 
couldn't get more clear. And that last bit, uh, you know, don't spend, rein it in. Denny? Well, the, the problem is, is that people can't not spend, right? Well, I mean, but, yes. But some of this, some of this stuff is self-inflicted in the part on the part of the US. Um, I know it sounds great when you're thinking about politics and you're going to come in and you're going to do an executive order and you're going to undo something that Donald Trump did. But executive orders have consequences. And so you could say, well, you know, what they did was good for the purposes of climate change. And therefore, that's good. Yes, that's fine, but it has a price tag. And so what what Biden did was he undid an order that Trump had done to allow fracking um, to be done so that um, that could be used as a method of extracting oil in America. The consequences um, that that had on the American economy when Trump was in power was that the gas prices went down because America was then an oil petroleum exporting country and had the the power to influence what world prices were. Right now, America is on its knees going to Venezuela begging for oil. Well, if, if, you, if you listen they, to... Um to what was said uh, in this explanatory video about stagflation, they were on their knees back in the 70s too. The US yeah. has always been dependent on foreign oil. Well, but but this, is, this has to do with what your policies are. The point that I'm making is that right now, if Biden wants to undo the executive order that he did when he first came into office, oil, um, oil prices would go down. And, and Amer it would put America in a position to be an oil exporting country. In other words, look at it this way. No one is saying that um, moving to cleaner energy isn't important. But the rate at which they want to achieve this is too aggressive. We, you're not going to switch the world off of petroleum products to cleaner forms of energy in a day, right? So if you're too aggressive, the consequences is that you drive the price up. And keep in mind that the, that the price of um, electricity impacts everything mm -hmm. that's done in, the, in, in Western economies. Right. So what, when you're saying that you, oh, you're gonna undo that something that Donald Trump did just because you want to, promote climate change that's great except if you try to do it too fast it costs a lot and that's what we're feeling in terms of fuel so that's self-inflicted now can Cayman do anything about that no because that is a type of inflation that is imported to us uh, because we have to purchase fuel as well what we the only thing that we can do outside of of, um, of, of that is to move to something that, a, a form of energy that isn't dependent as much on um, petroleum products. But then again, the solar panels are made from petroleum. <laughs> All the plastics are made from petroleum. 
All right, so Denny, leave, not, us, it's, it's, leave us uh, there. All I'm, say, all I'm uh-huh. saying is it's not as simple to make the switch. Well, it, it, none of this is simple, trust me. Is. Yeah. <laughs> okay, thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Alrighty. Trust me, none of this is simple. These are very complex um, economic issues that are tied into a lot of different things. And that's why even the information that we give you here in the, on the program, folks, we give it to you in snippets because I've never heard of stagflation in my life. I had no idea what it was. So this is a learning curve. And I know that you need to hear something about 25 times before it even sinks in, in terms of what it really, really, really is. Um, I think the one takeaway from this is the U.S. certainly has been in this position before. Uh, hopefully there were lessons learned then, but even now the experts, as you saw um, in that explanatory video, have been sharing that this time it may be different because there are different factors at play here. Um, you know, the people who have to make the tough decisions, head of the Federal Reserve back then, was a hated man getting death threats because he had to be making tough decisions that in the moment people didn't necessarily understand. But again, his remit was to rein in uh, prices after decades of explosive growth. Everybody loves growth. We think that growth is the way to go. And, and speaking of development, you know, when things start to contract and we start to see that, wow, things are not growing uh, it takes a very different turn and people understand the economic hardships that come with, um, you know, slowing growth down or sometimes, um, you know, not stopping growth entirely, but there are times when you have to really pump the brakes and, and slow it down. And what does that mean for people? These are some tough questions. And so I don't have the answers. We brought experts on this show before who were economists and who tried to um, explain these things. And, you know, we, you know, we do the best that we can in terms of making sure that people are informed. So my apologies to our online viewers. We seem to be getting a lot of spam today on the YouTube channel. We keep trying to block them, but uh, they keep popping up. So we'll continue to block them as they pop up. All right. So good morning, folks. So let's just back up. I know some of this, folks, is really, really deep. Um, and this is why when I, again, I, I often think about when I hear people on social media and they're complaining about the, the cost of juices and food and steaks and salmon. And then they don't even take the time to understand why those prices have increased. You know, they're blaming local grocery stores. They're blaming the local government. And there is a lot of this. As a society that imports 99.9% .9 of our food, and we do not have local farmers who could supply um, the entire Cayman Islands with even fresh goods, you know, we... <laughs> we're going to be impacted by this. I think people need to have a realistic discussion about how this is all going to happen. Getting food and goods from some regional partners may help. I don't even know it's going to help as much as you guys think, because again, it's, it's all about economies of scale, right? So it's a lot easier for the U.S. who has, what's their population? Millions of people that they're supplying food for. It's probably much easier easier for us to piggyback off of their food than, say, a regional country like Jamaica, which has a population of 3 million people. They don't make enough uh, farming to sustain their 3 million people. And once they start to export those goods, of course, what you can buy it for in Jamaica is not going to be the same price that you're going to get it once you're exporting it to the Cayman Islands. Try it. Go ahead. Try it. But, you know, I think the people need to have a realistic understanding that um, it may not work in the way that they think. Good morning, Aliano. Good morning to Emma. 
She says, loving your top. Have a happy and productive day. Thank you. Uh, KK is also loving the colors today on the top. Thanks very much. Good morning to Miss Marjorie. Um, I had, uh, who was that that made a comment that we were talking about? Oh, yes. Debbie says, good morning, Sandy. Thanks for the update and meta. That explains why my Facebook notifications have stopped. Yes. So very, very interesting. Jasara says, um, that she listened to them last night, listened to them being, is that the Legislative Assembly or Parliament now? Morning, Ms. Nancy. Nathina's here. Uh, George, thank you so much. Jesse says, are we supposed to be wearing masks on buses? Yes. And I actually had someone on WhatsApp message to say not only are the tourists not wearing masks on buses, but sometimes the bus drivers, a lot of the tour drivers are also not wearing their face mask. Really? Uh, apparently there's one who goes to the turtle farm that says that he's COVID proof. Unbelievable. Really? Well, you're COVID proof till you catch COVID. And there are people now who've had COVID multiple times. And I'm telling you uh, that, you know, it's not something you want to catch if you can avoid it. People are dying still from COVID. We, we have a little bit of COVID fatigues and we're not talking about it every single day like we were, but people are still dying from COVID. And in fact, I haven't checked the death rate recently. Um, you know, people just starting to ignore it. I had someone who, I, I uh, some friends visiting from the US over the weekend and uh, one guy said, you know, I had nine of my friends die from COVID. I was like, oh my God, that's horrible. And he's right in, in Miami, in Florida. I, it is what it is, folks. I get it. I understand the fatigue. I saw someone just, oh, when are we going to have, when can we stop wearing masks? Uh, yeah. 3.5, 3.4% of reported COVID-19 cases, people have died. And this, these are underestimates. We know that for sure. Many more people have actually died from COVID. Right. Um, so let's let's stay the course. You know what you need to do to protect yourself. Uh, uh, Ramsey was saying that that was a good suggestion. I think that was in relation to the loudspeakers at the port of entry, reminding people to please wear your mask. Um, Emma is saying any way that we could get rid of the mask. It's in your best interest, Emma. I know it. I know it sounds, you know, but believe me, it is in your best interest to stop the spread of a communicable disease that is airborne. Maria says, my question to Denny is if persons traverse a property to go to the beach, then a building is erected, would they not be considered as trespassers if they attempt to continue to cross the beach, which is not accessible by any other way? So I think that question relates to prescriptives rights being transferable or transferred. So after the 20 years, um, I mean, anybody who has any sense will try to codify a prescriptive right as opposed to just letting it sit there because this is exactly what was happening with Mike Adams down in West Bay with his crazy neighbors, right? So there was a prescriptive right in that instance that existed for like 40 years. It was pretty, pretty prescriptive. And then once these people came in and started questioning the prescriptive right, the right of way, the access point, what the Adams family did was they actually went to the land registry and they registered it. So you can register a prescriptive right. And that has been done. Now, my question in relation, and this is a legal question to prescriptive rights, 
does it have to be continual use? So here's an example. Say people might access part of a private property here and there, and then the bush grows up. The private property owners do not, you know, do anything about the bush growth. And so that acts to um, intervene or, or intercept or interrupt is the correct word I'm looking for here. That access to the public and they stop using it, does that prescriptive right go away? Is it like a continual prescriptive right? You know what I mean? So Dion, good morning. Lots of questions about that. Maybe we can have some attorneys jump in. Again, Maria is asking about when the property sold. Um, in the case of the Adams family in that situation, that new landowner actually was very much aware of the fact that there was a prescriptive right that existed. Because he got, remember I told you guys, he got a discount on the property because the prescriptive right was there and everybody knew that it was there. Yes, sir. Quick commercial break, folks. At Innovative Building Products, we provide professional builders and homeowners with the highest quality materials from top brands worldwide. Tiling tools, waterproofing systems, thin sets, self-levelers, grout, along with porcelain floor and wall tiles. Our products are 100% guaranteed, promise 100% satisfaction, and beat competitor pricing. Pallets of materials are ready to go. Quick and easy convenience to get you in and out within five minutes. Mga kabayan, nakatutok po kayo sa cold hard truth. Hatid ni Sandy Hill, ang nangungunang talk show sa Cayman. Ang Boses ng Masa. All right, folks, welcome back to the program. We do have another caller joining in. Good morning, caller. How are you? Oh, okay. 9362626 is the telephone number if you wish to call. If you don't wish to call, then that's not the number. <laughs> All right, folks. Let's get back to our mail questions. Um, again, uh, quite a number of comments coming in as well. Um, another comment here says, who owns the Federal Reserve? So Damien wants to know who owns the Federal Reserve. So here's the official answer. So the Federal Reserve system is not owned by anyone. The Federal Reserve was created in 1913 by the Federal Reserve Act to serve as the nation's central bank. Uh, the Board of Governors in Washington, D.C. is an agency of the federal government and reports to and is directly accountable to the Congress. Mm -hmm. So hopefully that answers your question. It's like a government agency, basically. Yes, awesome. Um, Ramsey says it's not mandatory by government, but can the bus operators should wear their tell their passengers uh, with the Cayman kind attitude that sh they should wear their mask everywhere in stores also. Fatima says Cayman is uh, too far gone for the government to do anything for Caymanians. Developers have taken over everything. So sad. What would you be doing without development though? There'd be no job creations. There'd be stagnation. Listen, we've already seen, I think, um, I hope that we've seen the really uh, precarious situation that this country is on because we rely on two, two sectors. Tourism got shut down during COVID. We saw what that has done and how the government could barely um, provide a stipend to people to try to just survive. Um, you know, 
what else is going to take a hit? Financial services takes a hit every single time you get blacklisted or graylisted. And the news there continues to tighten every single day. I think it's easy to say like these little snippets about, oh, developers have taken over. What does that even mean? And what would you do in a country where there was no development, there was no options for tourists, there was no, you know, I mean, I, there has to be a balance and nothing can be out of balance because then you get to stagflation. But I think we all, um, and I agree with Denny 100% on this, we all need to educate ourselves a bit more about economic systems and how these things actually work. And as a small island, we're not even technically a nation, but let's just call us that for the purposes of this comment. As a small island overseas territory, you know, what can we do and how much can we control what actually happens to us? And we all need to have a realistic view of that. Yes, there are decisions that every single person can make that impacts their lives. So when we talk about reining in the spending, you know, a lot of you don't want to have that conversation, but you need to have that conversation. Like, really? All right. Um, Cassandra says a world pandemic had U.S. reduce oil prices are up because no one wants Russia making money off of oil. Mm, again, that kind of comment isn't correct. <laughs> Russia has been making money off of oil forever and they have been selling it to all of Europe. Look at the countries, even as Europe tries to pull away from Russian oil because of what they have done to Ukraine. Um there are several countries who signed on to that agreement that we spoke about last week, that European agreement, that have said, we can't pull away from Russian oil. We've got a direct pipeline that comes into our country from Russia. And we don't have a choice. We can't do anything else. And so they have been allowed to you know, continue to get their oil from Russia. Now, without a doubt, Russia is being put under international pressures, not because nobody wants them to make money off of oil, but because they have invaded a sovereign nation for whatever reason, and the world is trying to send a message that you cannot do that without consequences. You're doing it, four months, is it now four months of a war that was supposed to last, they, taught, they thought a couple weeks, but you can't do that and the rest of the world pumping you with billions and billions of dollars to pay for your oil, we're gonna find other choices. So, you know, I mean, when we make certain comments and we put certain comments out there, um, I think the the need to be as accurate as possible is really, really important. And we will continue to feel the pinch of that situation and other things that are cause, that's causing inflation to rise. So the feds are doing their part. They're trying to do their part by making it more difficult for you to borrow money. And it seems like right now, if you're smart, it looks like you might want to just hold off on, on those types of things. Tracy says the cost of living is up everywhere. Russia only supplies the U.S. with 5% of the oil and the rest comes from Arabia and Canada. But look at what's happening. It's not just the U.S. that is involved in the, um, in the market. It is the European countries. Let's see. All right. Um... I'm just going to fact check something that you just said, Tracy, because these are the types of things that I want to make sure that uh, we're actually getting right here. So in 2021, um, U.S. imports of crude oil 
They imported 209,000 barrels of crude oils per day from Russia. And that was the highest level in many years. But uh, in terms of where they import crude oil from, it is 3%. And they don't get most of it from those other places, as you've mentioned, at all. 6% from Saudi Arabia, 13% from other, 10% from Mexico, 3% from Colombia, 2% from Iraq, Ecuador is 2%. Guess where, this should be a trivia question, guess where the U.S. gets most of its crude oil from? So you see how we've just made a comment, 5% is actually 3%. The majority of the crude oil, Tracy's on the mark on this one, actually comes from Canada, not Arabia, not Saudi Arabia at all. 61% is coming from Canada. And then the question becomes, where does Canada get it from? Hmm. Real trickle down effect caller. Good morning and welcome to the program. Uh, good morning, Sandra. I, you, you might have moved. Uh, I think you were talking about prescriptive rights yes. not too long ago and so on, but I kept going back and forth. Uh, I know you're talking about oil now, mm -hmm. but let me just say, can I say something about the prescriptive rights? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. See, pre prescriptive, yeah, it is, it is very important, I think, that people understand how prescriptive rights work. Uh, and under the prescription law, uh, once you have used any particular right right of way mm -hmm. uh, for 20 years uninterrupted, unchallenged, then it becomes an indefeasible right, meaning mm -hmm. that you can't take it away. Um, and that right will belong either to the community as a whole, like if it is a place which was more like a public right of way, or it may belong to maybe a group of people who live just in a particular corner where they needed to, to be able to access uh, either a public road or the beach um, uh, that way. So, so that, uh, but you see, the problem with, with prescriptive rights is that although they are, they are recognized in law, it is sometimes very difficult to enforce them mm -hmm. because people may challenge them and they say, well, but you see, uh, it was not uh, continuously for 20 years or it, it did go on for 20 years, but we were always challenging it and so on. But if you go to court and you actually show that it was uninterrupted for 20 years, it is indefeasible. It can't be taken away. Mm -hmm. uh, and, 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 and this is the thing. I, I was at, at some time representing as an attorney uh, concerned citizens group and, and some individuals in there uh, when we were fighting for the beach access rights, which we are still doing right now. Uh, I don't speak for them uh, anymore, but I'm still part of the group which is trying to have that recognized. What government needs to do about prescriptive rights, it, it just needs to amend the registered land law to give the registrar power to register prescriptive rights. Mm -hmm. The excuse that different governments have had up to this point has been, well, there's no power to register a prescriptive rights. And then when we pushed them hard, they said, okay, then they passed the Public Lands Commission law. And then they said, well, if you want to claim any prescriptive rights, and there is a little bit of a dispute, then you should go to the Public Lands Commission, and then the Public Lands Commission will help you get money to go to court so that you can fight the case. Now, that's ridiculous, okay? Why don't you just amend the law so that the registrar can have the right to register those prescriptive rights? Now, there will always be the issue as to whether that could be destructive as to development and so forth. But all you can do is, 
you amend when you amend the law, there's another thing you can do. You can just ensure that the registrar either consults with the Public Lands Commission or consults with any other people in government, mm-hmm. but to give the power to the commission. You know, like it's like it's like that old expression: "Take it easy, but take it." You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and that's what government needs to do. But what government has been doing, and I'll be very blunt about this, governments have uh, successively, they have been deliberately lying to the people and saying we care about prescriptive rights, mm-hmm. but they have not done the, 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 the things that need to be done. Uh, when I joined this, this this fight about rights of way, it was only about uh, four or five years ago mm-hmm. uh, when I joined it. But the people have been fighting about this for 30 years. Mm. 500 affidavits were, were established, 200 rights of way. And uh, not a single one has been established. Mm. And and at one point, actually, last year, they started saying, well, but those affidavits are now stale. You know, mm-hmm. we can't recognize them for which there is no foundation in law whatsoever. I think people need to be educated about this. Um, the government needs to be put under pressure mm-hmm. so that they can actually deliver on this issue rather than keep uh, window dressing. I thought mm-hmm. I should just share that this morning. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay, my dear. All right, folks. So, um, yes, we've only got through the first question for mailbag Um for our mailbag Friday, uh, but that goes to show you how the conversations go. So this has been a very, very interest, interesting one that has brought up a number of, um, of different points. And thank you so much to that caller, attorney at Law Baliki, who is well-versed um, in prescriptive rights. Somebody else says, get Sammy Jackson on the program because he knows a lot about prescriptive rights as well. We'll send the invitation. All about educating people. So El Rey says Ukraine is one of the world's largest exporters of wheat, but the war has taken a toll on the country's agriculture and food supplies, sparking fears of shortages or higher prices around the world. Last year, Ukraine produced about 33 million tons of wheat, of which it exported about 20 million, 20 million tons, uh, making it the sixth largest exporter globally. This year, with the situation as it stands, the country only has the potential to produce about 21 million tons of wheat down about 23% on average. Um, it's, listen, there's a lot, El Rey, we've talked about it last year, about India stopping export of, uh, what do they do, sugar, they've done wheat. Um, there was another Asian country, I can't remember off the top of my head right now, that also was stopping exporting, they're freezing export exports on certain commodities that are really, really important to things that we need. And that will have a trickle-down effect, although for those countries, they primarily supply their own region, um, Mm -hmm. it will have a trickle-down effect because we all live in this world together. So in terms of Canada, let's wrap this up and let's move on to another question. Um, So from 2014 to 2019, uh, Canada exports, uh, this is again, natural gas, crude oil, right? Natural gas producers. Uh, They exported to the U.S. It increased slightly, but overall exports to the U.S. have dropped 22% over the past 10 years. And listen to this. According to their uh, information here, Canada urgently needs new international markets for their natural gas. (laughs) So imagine they're looking for new markets. Um, Advances in horizontal drilling and hydraulic uh, fracturing have enabled the U.S. to increase its own natural gas production by more than 40%. This is different than crude, but still give you an idea of what's happening. 
The U.S. has become the world's top natural gas producer since 2011. So when we talk about things like, you know, crude oil and natural gas and all these sorts of things, there's a lot that uh, is involved in the movements of these commodities around the world. So despite having the world's third largest oil reserves, Canada imports oil from foreign suppliers. Again, isn't that crazy? Currently, more than half the oil used in Quebec and Atlantic Canada is imported from foreign sources, including the U.S., Saudi Arabia, Russian Federation, United Kingdom, uh, Nigeria, Ivory Coast, Azerbaijan. So in 2019, Canada spent $18.9 billion to import foreign oil. Sounds crazy, because weren't we just saying that they were uh, (laughs) sending crude oil out? And believe it or not, the world demand for crude oil is expected to grow in the coming decades, according to the International Energy Agency, their 2021 World Energy Outlook report. Global demand for oil will increase 21% by 2040. I'm sure the environmentalists are cringing, like, how is that possible? From 87.9 billion to 103.6 billion, the combined demand from China and India is at 5.9. So it isn't really about us again. Lots of players in the world, China and India, uh, requiring quite a bit as their economies continue to grow and as their countries continue to grow. Okay, let's move on. Um, El Rey says it's not just about what's happening in America. Absolutely. Canada, Europe, Asia, everything. Um, so Shalee says, I have it on hood, is that good authority, that effective this Sunday, the USA will lift its COVID restrictions for international travelers. Well, um, it's already in the news, folks. <laughs> Let, let's go there. Um, since you mentioned it, why not? We received this uh, probably at 830 this morning. The US will end COVID-19 testing requirements for air travelers entering the country. So this report, again, you're probably hearing it first here locally if you're not listening to international news, but this is what we like to do, bring it to you as it's happening. The Biden administration is expected to announce today that the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention will lift its requirement for travelers to test negative for COVID-19 before entering the U.S. So yes, Uh, will that have an impact on us? Maybe our regulations don't expire until the end of the month. So we'll have to see um, what sort of implications that has. This is one of those things, folks, you can't, you can't have your cake and eat it too, right? There will be, um, you know, consequences uh, either way. So some people say, uh, you know, the travelers into Cayman don't want to have to COVID test. They don't want to do anything to be quite frank. And, um, you know, listen, I traveled recently. It really isn't that big of a deal unless you think you're positive. And then, you know, that might get you stuck in a country because you won't be able to travel. So if the U.S. lifts it as not mandatory, that doesn't mean that individual airlines have to follow suit. So individual airlines might still say, we want you to COVID test before you come in this really close environment where you're sitting next to people coughing on them and whatever. So I don't know. 
We'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. We will certainly update you in terms of what's going on. But yes, that is breaking news this morning uh, that the Biden administration is going to look at removing um, the requirement to test. It doesn't say anything about being, being um, vaccinated, though. So um, the travel industry obviously has been lobbying against this for months. And at the time in January, um, the CDC that it said that it would reassess its decision in 90 days. And now this is, I guess, coming up on uh, that process. So it says that the um, officials are saying that the Biden administration plans to work with airlines to ensure a smooth transition with the change, but it will likely be a welcome move for most in the industry. Okay. Now, uh, it looks like it will be lifted probably um, for people traveling after Sunday. Um, and then, again, there's no mention of uh, what that means in terms of, I mean, presumably you still have to be vaccinated. I don't think they're going to touch that. All right, so that's what it is now. So we'll we'll keep you guys abreast. Uh, that'll be going up on the CMR website here shortly. Renee is actually working on that. So let's see if we can get to another question. Believe it or not, of my four pages, that's only two basically that we got to. Um, here is one that's kind of related to this morning's discussion. Does the cost of living have an impact on the birth rate in Cayman? Has anyone done any studies on that? Just a random thought. I don't think anyone has done any specific studies and the cost of living, I mean, I don't know, has the birth rate declined over the past 20 years? Because the cost of living has always gone up. It's never gone down. Mm, I don't know if it has a direct impact on it, but I think other things probably have had an impact on the birth rate, including even women's access to choice. Women now have the right, and they feel like they have the right as compared to maybe even 50 uh, years ago or even 30 years ago, women feel like they have a right to say what they want to do with their bodies. So there are women who are choosing not to have children. They're like, no, I don't want to have kids. Or I only have one or two and that's it. You're not going to pile me up with 50 children. Um, so I think that that probably has more of an impact, women's uh, access to birth control, um, you know, religious factors. I don't know if the Catholic church has finally signed off on birth control or not, but probably more Catholic people are, um, you know, more inclined to make their own decisions as opposed to having the church dictate what a woman's reproductive rights should be. So I don't think we have a necessarily high birth rate. I think what we have happening here is normally the people who can least afford to have children, are the ones who are having the most. Bit of a conundrum now. Remy, Chef Remy in the house. Good morning to you, my dear. How are you? Love the new logo, Chef Remy. Uh, you've been really stepping things up in terms of the business. I'm noticing. I'm paying attention. Absolutely love what he's do been doing. Of course, Chef Remy has a um, private catering business. We actually had a, a dinner catered by him. And oh, my God, amazing. Gianna was impressed with the flowers uh, that she could eat. She was like, I can eat these? Yes. <laughs> so, uh, Chef Remy has, oh my God, his food is so good. 
absolutely divine. Um, let's move on to another question. This one says, um, oh, this is more of a, a submission comment, but it says, hi, I appreciated your article about Esther Henderson, met her um, 40 years ago in Stockholm, where she worked as a lifeguard in a swimming pool. I was a foreman there. She had some concerns with banks and authorities, and she would be deported only after a bad investigation. I'm not sure what that was, but she said, we solved it with the help of a woman, an immigration police in uh, Marsta, I guess that's in Stockholm, I don't know. Uh, she was, as you describe her, always happy and was a joy spender. The last contact we had was um, 16, I guess that's 2016. We were to be heard after, we were to be heard after that she was in the hospital in Miami but she passed away a few days later. It hurt me a lot. Best regards. Um, someone writing Kajel, I think is how it's pronounced, from Kumla. Um, so uh, thank you for that. You know, when someone passes away, it's always a very difficult situation. And uh, we try on this platform to be as sensitive as we can. Sometimes family members will send us what they wish to be published, which is, I think, always the best way. And then other times we kind of just piece it together, just kind of knowing a little bit about the person. In the case of Ms. Esther, we, we pieced it together. Um, you know, she was someone that I had the opportunity to meet myself in a professional capacity. And she had the type of personality that you kind of never really forget. Like, I remember vividly the day that she walked in to my office and passed it to her place. She was so full of just life and energy and super vibrant. And she said, I hear that you're the best and that's why I'm here. So a little bit of flattery goes a long way. And, um, you know, I remember having a conversation with her. It was a Saturday morning. Uh, actually, it was Saturday afternoon when she walked in. And I remember Marla and I were there. And she was just so interested in us as individuals, not just business owners as well. And yeah, so we were, you know, I, I like in all things to try to help people be realistic, manage expectations, as I always say, so that people don't get disappointed. So I said, well, you might have heard that I'm the best, but let me tell you what I actually do and, you know, what you can expect and so on. And she was happy and she was actually a customer of mine uh, for years. Um, really just a pleasant individual. Hmm. Okay, let's move on to the next question. Let's try to get in as many as we can because then the others will have to save until next week, Friday. So today is Mail with Sandy Day, folks. Get into your questions and comments that you send in. So this one says, hello, can you address the persons, them that owe people, them, their partner money from lockdown till now and not willing to pay back none at all, not even in pieces and use people money to pay their mortgage? Mm -mm -mm. Robinson, I think they meant to say robbing poor people their money. Three draw went out from uh, three, two weeks, okay, pay bill, and they don't want to refund back and the money and they're answering, they're not answering their phone and change their number. I will give you name and workplace next, but please address the matter for me on Facebook. Thank you, CMR. So here's the thing. I'm going to address this as I do with any questions on this program as honestly as I possibly can. Partners are a bad idea, okay? Despite what you've been told about throwing a partner, and I know that this is a Caribbean thing, it's a Caymanian thing, everybody, oh, throw a partner, it's a good way to save money, blah, blah, blah. It is inherently a bad idea. 
because you're getting into bed figuratively with people that even if you think you know them, you should not be trusting them when it comes to money. Nothing will end a friendship quicker, folks, than uh, money. Mix up. Mm -hmm. Don't loan people money if you can't afford to give people money. Don't enter a partner if you can't afford to lose the money. Because invariably at some point, and you might have thrown five partners before and they all went well, they're only as good as the weakest link. And I'm surprised that during a pandemic, when people are struggling, that anybody in their right mind would enter into a partner. People can't even pay their mortgages. People can't pay the obligations that they're supposed to pay. And as this person said, they're taking partner money to pay their mortgages so that they don't get evicted and they can keep their homes. Yeah, they're going to do that. And so I would not recommend entering into a partner ever, really, but especially in tough times. Because people will have, oh, they got it figured out, child. Yes, I'm going to have that money to pay you back or whatever. And then that month, it all dries up. Just common sense 101. Money sense 101. Don't play around with your money, folks. It's hard to come by. Now, for those of you who are listening to the program, I have no idea what a partner is. You're probably like saying, I don't know what you're talking about. What is a partner? A partner is where you get a group of people together. It's like they're trying to do their own banking. They will do their own loan system, right? So say you get five people together and you all decide that um, you're going to contribute per month um, $2,000 a month. Yes? Five times two is $10,000. So the drawdown is 10. You decide who's going to go first in terms of getting the money. So everybody puts the money into the pot. First month, normally the banker gets the pull at the first month. And it's kind of... You know, depending on who the partner is with, you have to decide who's going to get their, their drawdown first. Now, that person, that is considered the most favorable position to be in to get your money first. Because when shit starts to happen, as it will, and people start to not pay, um, you know, you're going to have a situation where that person already has their money. So they're like, hey, I'm good. I don't need any more, I'm, you know. If it falls apart after the first payout, just like these pyramid schemes that you guys are running during COVID. And I kept telling y'all, don't be falling for the, oh yeah, but I know this person who worked customs and they got all this kind of money. That's because they're at, the, they're at the, um, the top of the pyramid scheme. So they came in early and they started recruiting people and they got paid. But as the, as the scheme continues, it loses steam and it's harder to recruit more people into those pyramid schemes. You're not going to get the big payday and payout that you're looking for. Stop having people tell you foolishness. So everybody in the partner puts in their money. One person gets a drawdown and it circles, it cycles through depending on how many people. Now, some partners are big in terms of the number of people involved. So you get all 10 people and sometimes they're committing to $5,000 a month, $10,000 a month. Now, let me be very clear. If you have the ability to hand over somebody $2,500 per month, right? One go or even $500 per month, one go. You can take that money and save it in another way. It's like people have a, I don't know, partners is kind of a mental thing, right? Because you feel like, okay, this is now a bill that I owe because I owe it to these people. These people are going to put me under pressure. So if I don't pay it, you know, I'm going to get in trouble or whatever. But because it's considered gambling by law, the police can't help you. So when they call the, when you call the police, they're going to say, oops not our business, it's gambling. 
Uh, you try to take these people to court. I mean, technically, even a civil remedy is not going to be available to you because it is in, an illegal activity. So what are you going to do? They've changed their phone number. They're not answering your calls and they owe you partner money. Now, y'all like to be sending people um, pictures and whatever from people uh, to CMR because, you know, the second we post it up, they're going to be dying of such embarrassment that uh, they're going to want to pay up. Well, maybe, maybe not. It's a risk. It's like these cash-to-payday businesses. They are taking on an immense risk. Uh, one of them sent me a picture recently of a... Um, of a guy who is a, well, he used to work at the prison, you know, they've not renewed his contract. So now they're like, you know, we need your help getting our money back. No, what you need to do is you need to, number one, be very, very careful at who you're loaning money to. This is a high risk kind of business. Anybody who does a cash to payday business, you should know that it is high risk because normally the people who come to you are the worst when it comes to their finances. They're not coming to you because you're offering them a lucrative deal. You, you have higher interest rates than a bank. These are short-term loans, folks. So these people are coming to you. Here's a picture of the guy that they're looking for right now. These people are coming to you because they don't have no other choice. He couldn't go to the bank. Maybe he already had too much debt. He was above his debt ratio. Maybe he was in trouble financially in other areas of his life. That is why he's coming to your business to borrow money. Now, I don't know how much money he borrowed. But now he is ghosting them, right? He no longer has a job with government. So there goes what you thought was your guarantee. Oh, yes, he borrowed $2,000. Here, here, to, here to mix up now. He borrowed $2,000 in principal sum, paying $400 in interest. Daily fees. Charge every day past the due date is $13.33. Now, I am no uh, financier, but like I said, y'all need to use some freaking common sense. You're going to loan somebody $2,000. And $400, what's, what's the rate? Uh, can somebody have a look at the rate of what they're actually paying for interest? It doesn't make any financial sense. But people do things out of desperation that don't necessarily make any financial sense. Now, the thing is, if you enter into a contract agreement and you agree to this, just like you go to the pawn shop and you're pawning stuff and, you know, the difference is the pawn shop has collateral. Whatever you're pawning, if you don't return the money, they're going to take it and sell it. That's why they, they value your items at the pawn shop so low, because if you don't return, they got to be able to get their money back, that principal that they uh, loaned you plus some. So this guy borrowed the money, it looks like uh, in January, Alfred S. Williams. And uh, he hasn't paid it back. And, and, you know, he's not, same thing, not answering the phone. Can't be found. Change the phone number. Or um, he has that number blocked. And then somebody else calls him, he answers the phone. So in this instance, he actually did $2,000 loans each from this cash to payday style business. Called him repeatedly, sent messages via WhatsApp, sent emails, and he's just not replying. 
He's they say that he's attempting to abscound without settling his debts. And he has a signed loan agreement contract. This is why I got to be honest with you, you know, these cash to pay businesses, they're extremely high risk for the people who are running the businesses because you have people like this. And I know of other people who um, have come to me and said, oh, you know, I have a small cash to pay business and all these people are not with me. I said, you know what? You need to have a lawyer in standby who can then take these people to court to get, recover your money. But you, you'll get a judgment, but recovering the money and getting a judgment are two very different things. So you may get a judgment in your favor, but if the person doesn't have any money, you're still not going to get any money. El Ray says, says, take a loan into forehead. El <laughs> Ray, you need to behave yourself. It's Friday after all. <laughs> so partner mix up. Uh, my advice to you would be don't enter one because the options available um, are very, very slim in terms of any remedies. You basically have none. Um, and like I said, it ruins, I've seen it ruin family relationships, friendships, the works over the years. If you have money and you're trying to find a way to save it, go and sit down with a financial advisor, speak to your bank about how you can bank that money in a way where you're not tempted to touch it. And then, you know, that will benefit you. You're better off, and I know people tend to do it for like little projects and whatever that they have coming up. Some people have done it like, oh, you know, I need to pay my children's school fees and it helps me to have like a lump sum to do that. You can, you can still have that same discipline without being involved in a partner. Child, I'm trying to discipline myself right now. Anything a little extra, throw it on the mortgage because I'm like, let's hurry up and pay off the mortgage so that I'm not too, you know, this whole inflation thing isn't going to give me a heart attack. All right, let's move on to another question. We've got about eight minutes left in today's program, 936-2626. Any opinions or uh, comments that you may have on what we're discussing? Okay, this one's a good one because we actually have a good response to this. So this one says, Dear Miss Sandra, can you please investigate the fuel issue in Cayman? So this we actually posted on Saturday on our CMR page. They said, me and a lot of people I know have had issues with their cars lately. It's like they have diluted the fuel. I have a brand new car that after I filled up at Barcam, it struggles to start, took it to a dealership mechanic, and they said the fuel doesn't look right. They purged my tank and I filled it up again with fuel and my car now runs smooth. I, um, I will spare this message to everyone until this message gets, till this mess gets sorted. I know I'm not the only one experiencing this, that it's an issue at many gas stations. So first of all, we posted that the owners at Barcam reached out to us and they said, listen, People who send in these anonymous messages are a little bit suspect because if you have a brand new vehicle that is destroyed and your mechanic tells you, which the mechanic didn't really say that. The mechanic said, um, according to what the person has shared, that something doesn't look right. That, that is a little bit too iffy for me. Like, I think if a mechanic is going to make such a comment like that, he should either be able to say yay or nay something don't look right. Mm, there's a lot of things that don't look right, but that doesn't mean that that's the cause. But the owner said, listen, someone is going to allegedly have their brand new vehicle impacted by what they claim is bad diluted gas. And they don't even contact the management of the gas station. Everybody knows who owns Barcam. And I said, that is a valid point. I mean, that would have been the first thing I would have done is listen, you're according to my mechanic, your gas just messed up my brand new car. What the heck? What gives? Hmm. Uh, 
As a result of that post, Offreg reached out to us over the weekend. They asked uh, anyone who has a complaint to reach out to them directly. And they actually went that very same day on Saturday. I guess this is the power CMR, y'all. They went to Barcam and they tested the oil. And they have been testing oil uh, at gas stations, the fuel. And they actually issued a statement, which we put up on our website. So hopefully all of you have seen this to say that the gas at Barcam is perfectly fine. I say, and it, that your time is a precious oh, sorry. And want to help this you thing auto plays on the website. And, um, you know, they um, have no concerns about, about the fuel. So they're coming on the show. So stay tuned for further information, but they are coming on the show, hopefully on Monday. So they were originally slated for today and then there was a conflicting issue with the schedule. So Mr. Duke Monroe, who's the executive director for the fuel segment of Offreg, will be on the program on Monday. So he'll answer all of your questions in relation to that. But they've gone out and they've tested. They did a same day investigation following our posts on social media. And they have said that, um, you know, there are no issues. Acceptable fuel quality standards are met in both the gasoline and diesel fuels. And the other thing that we understand from these business owners is they're like, Sandy, our gas tanks are like double insulated, triple insulated, whatever. They're above, you know, sea level. There's certain things that they have to do, and we'll get all the details of this when the regulators come in, but there's certain regulatory things that they have to do in order to protect the oil even that's at the gas station, the fuel there. So it's not something like, oh, it gets dropped off and then water is able to seep into it. Thank you, Denny. He says fuel, not oil. Don't interchange the two. Uh, let me say this, though. I was having an issue with my car recently where it's like doing this little sputtering thing, right? And it started a number of months ago. And so I called the dealer. Uh, my car is over five years old. So obviously not even in warranty anymore. And I called the de dealer and I said, hey, I'm having this issue that's a little bit weird. Like it, it happens when I'm accelerating, like when it's changing gears. I feel it like, like it's like, but it's really like, a, like it's a, I don't even, listen, I'm a woman trying to explain a mechanical issue. Y'all know I want to do a car show in this program, but all I can tell you is like a jerking. It's doing like a jerking thing, right? And I'm thinking, what the heck? So the first couple of times I noticed it, I'm like, mm, okay, this is a little bit weird. One day I had gone to Northside coming out of the Frank Sound Junction. It's more like when I try to accelerate, like it's just shifting gears really, really bizarrely, right? And so I'm like, I wonder what this could be. So you know, take it into the mechanic. They put it up, these fancy computers. They claim that they don't see anything wrong with it. The computer doesn't tell them there's anything wrong. And I'm like, well, the computer might not be telling you anything, but I'm telling you what this car is doing is a normal. There's definitely something wrong. So at one point someone says to me, well, maybe it's the fuel. And I was like, hmm, maybe. I mean, again, I'm no mechanic. I don't know. So uh, I speak to the dealer about it and they said, hmm, maybe. Everybody's like, maybe, right? So, you know, what you try to do, and I just fill it up. And there are some days that it does it more than others. And there are other days it doesn't do it at all. Like I can go days, a week, and it doesn't do it. And then all of a sudden, one day it'll do it like four times in a day. So it was very, very sporadic. I'm thinking if it was fuel, I would expect it to be more consistent. You know, it, it wouldn't be like it's randomly doing it here or there. And like that kind of doesn't make sense for a fuel-related uh, issue, right? So I thought about that. And I said, okay, well, what do I do? Well, they have these things that you can buy, these injection, I don't know what they call them, cleaners or whatever. And you add that 
additive to your fuel and that helps you know to clean out whatever i said all right so i did that ran out the tank of gas got another tank of gas somewhere else now i'm actually one of those people who doesn't necessarily go to the exact same gas station every single time like i'm one of those people like i don't really care <laughs> you know um i don't even care if it's esso or what's the other one called we have esso and barcam esso and what's the other one called Oh, whatever they're called. See, I don't even know. There's Refuel, there's Esso, and there's uh, Rubus now, right? So I'm like, listen, when I see the gas light come on, because that's normally what I notice, that I need gas, hurricane season, I try to pay a little bit more attention. I'm like, okay, I got to fill up today. Uh, where's the closest gas station? I go and I fill up, right? And I'm out of there. So I'm like, hmm, I can't really pinpoint it to any particular gas station or any particular, like, I don't know. So then my, the car dealer says, okay, we, we, we would prefer to use this particular gas. I'm not going to say which one they recommend, but they recommend a particular supplier because they claim that their gas, their fuel, my apologies, Danny, is actually better. I say, right. Okay. The, the, the problem persists. And I, I persist and say, listen, I don't think this is a fuel thing, right? I'm speaking to other people and I really feel like this is something with the transmission. And of course they're saying, but the transmission, um, the transmission, the computer that tells us there's nothing wrong with your transmission. Well, lo and behold, the last time I went in for servicing, I said, y'all need to explore this a little bit more. It's like that thing in my, that has been making a sound in my rear end for how long. And you tell me that, you know, uh, you can't hear it. And you, and when you do hear it, you're not sure what it is. You need to find a reason. You need to tell me really what's going on with this vehicle. So finally they messaged a dealer in Germany, the, the people, the experts in Germany, and they say, this is what's happening. Machine isn't picking up. They come back and say, oh yeah, uh, we think it's not the entire transmission. It's parts of the transmission that now need to be replaced that's causing this problem. I'm like, what? And do tell what's going to happen to me one day with this video. Oh, yeah, it'll just it'll just stop and you won't be able to use your car anymore. Huh? Are you kidding me? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Cold Hard Truth on Bobo 89.1 FM. Cayman's number one talk show is live weekdays from 7.30 a.m. Never miss an episode again. Watch anytime on CMR's Facebook and YouTube channels for the latest show episodes. Don't forget to follow us online on our social media channels and visit CaymanMarlRoad.com for all the latest news and community happenings. I feel like this is the after show now. So that's me keeping a very close eye, folks, on the um, uh, caller. We'll st we're still on air. Are you wishing to make on-air comments? Is it Sandy? Yes, we're on air. Oh, I thought you were finished. On the radio, but we're still online. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Okay.
<laughs> so folks, um, because of the time, we do have to try to end it because the radio is like automated, right? So there's like a show, right? A news or whatever, right after us that auto plays. So we try to play our, our outro song in order for that to happen um, very, very quickly. And I'm always missing it by a couple seconds, I'll be honest. Um, so I am going to wrap it up on time here today, though, because I do have uh, a number of appointments with some clients that I must get to. So we only got through a handful of questions. There's more to come. So I'll save these up for next week. Sending your questions, folks. Uh, what's up? You've got the number 936-2626. Those of you who have my personal WhatsApp number, you can send it there as well. Email tips at caymanmallroad.com. Um, those are probably the best ways to send through your messages. So we'll continue your mailbag with Sandy next week, Friday. I'll put this in the little tray over here so that we can pick up where we left off. But the short of it is um, my issue with my vehicle had nothing to do whatsoever um, with the, the fuel. Nothing. Turns out it is something with the vehicle itself and components of the transmission that now have to be replaced. And so, well, look, I had to get a loan to, to try and order the parts. Um, Paul says, good morning, uh, Sandra and CMR. Have a great weekend. Thank you, Paul. Um, same thing with the pizza with the hair. Um, so listen, that was really disgusting. Uh, first of all, I must say I was, ugh, I felt like I wanted to throw up when I saw those photos. Uh, the person who sent it in, you know, I, I often get voice notes and voice messages. I didn't play their voice message, but there were some of you who were like, you know, um, why not contact the business? And this is just the day and age that we live in as well, where people want to get the word out there. They want the consumers to be careful. Sometimes, yes, the business can do their part and they can fix certain things. But other times it's about notifying the public to be careful when you go to certain places and you're eating out, um, look in your food and listen, who has not found hair in their food? We all have at some point. Sometimes it's baked into the fritter. Like that has happened to me before. And I'm like, WTF, right? Disgusting. And it turns you off from your entire meal. Sometimes you find insects in your food. That has happened. Now, I'm a little bit different with an insect because this was something where, uh, this was at one of my favorite restaurants, actually, where, you know, they have a home garden and you know you'll get bugs and stuff in the garden. You saute the food, you're not fully cooking it, so that insect, you can still see the insect in there. But you'd be surprised how much insects and other stuff you're eating in food because you can't ever wash it 100%, even when you think you are. For the most part, it ain't going to kill you. There are people who eat insects as part of their diet and they say it's a good little extra fiber. I'm not up for that, to be honest. I'm just not, you know, not up for that. But, you know, hair is a very different thing because when you're working in a restaurant, you're a chef, you're um, the sous chef, whatever, you're helping to prepare meals, you should have on a hairnet. I hate going into places where you can see people preparing food and around food and they're not wearing gloves, they're not wearing a hairnet. Now, to be fair, there's certain foods, Chef Remy's probably listening still, there's certain preparation of foods, whatever, that you, you, it's difficult to do it with a glove. Like sometimes you do have to get your hands in there. And so your hands better be freaking clean. Even in my own kitchen, when I'm preparing foods like dough and stuff like that, child, I'd be like, just hand me the gloves. And it's not easy working with gloves to prepare certain food. But especially if it's other people that are going to be eating it, like if I'm doing my Christmas dinner or whatever, child, you'll see me put on gloves. Okay. All that hair that was in that pizza, or it wasn't pizza, it was a cheese bread or whatever, is pretty disgusting. 
I don't have any reasons to not believe the person who sent it in. This is someone that I know um, on, you know, WhatsApp. She sends me stuff all the time. So um, I don't have any reason not to believe it. And I don't think it's a setup. You know, she wasn't going on like that. But I do think it's pretty nasty. And so to all food handlers, and this is why she sent it through to us, is she wants food handlers to be careful as well as consumers to be vigilant and on the lookout. I look at my food when I eat it, and this is exactly why, Joe, because you never know the stuff that's going to be showing up in your food. So just keep in mind that, you know, people having to eat this food that you're preparing. And so you should exercise. I don't know if the person was shedding hair for some particular reason, because it did seem like quite a bit. I don't know where the hair can't listen. I don't have the explanation. I just know that if we take it at face value, that is pretty disgusting and pretty nasty. And you can call the Department of Environment Health and advise them of things like this. And that's what I recommend that you all do because they do, I guess, routine inspections of these food um, places of restaurants. But there's some restaurants and some places that they need to step up and do a bit more. Huh. Um, it reminds me of when I went into a restaurant many, many years ago, they had the best tamarind drink. I used to love getting their tamarind drink. And so it was in walking distance from my office. And a lot of times I'd walk over and, you know, didn't have much for lunch, but I'd be like, oh, let me get a glass of tamarind drink. Nice, cool, refreshing. And I'm sitting there watching the lady take it out of the fridge, shake it up. Cause you know, tamarind drink separates, it settles and pour it into a cup. And then she takes a sip out of my cup puts the lid on it and hands it to me. Now, you guys know, it's me, right? You're expecting that, oh my God, Sandy must have been like, what the fuck did you just do, blah, blah, blah. I was in such a state of shock and disbelief. You know what I did? I handed her my money like I was a freaking zombie. I was just so shocked. I handed her the money for the tamarind drink walked out the door and took it with me and threw it away. Because I was just like, why did I just, what did I just witness? What did I just see? I couldn't believe it. But I still paid for it. To this day, you know, you always tell yourself, oh, I'm going to do this when this happens. Never say what you're going to do, because trust me, in a situation, you never know. You, I, I should be, I, I, I was like, I should have pelt that drink at her. All these things are going through my mind afterwards. But in the moment, I was like that woman just drank out of my... Yo, let me demonstrate in case you miss what I'm saying, right? She shook up the big jar of tamarind drink, poured it out. Took, took a sip like so. Put the lid on right in front of me and handed it to me. There was other people in the restaurant. I'm looking at them like, did anybody else see this? Am I seeing right? Like I questioned my own sanity in that moment at what I had seen. I was like, what the hell did she just do? I threw it out. And of course, what did I do? This is before CMR. I went to social media and I complained about what I had just witnessed. And you know what is so funny is I didn't name the restaurant, but there are people who messaged me who were able to guess because they're like, oh, I see this woman eating food out of scrapes and out of people's plates and whatever. And I was like, what? She got a problem. Yes, honey child. I was just so flabbergasted. I could not, could not believe what had just happened to me. 
And as much as I love that tamarind drink, I'm like, hell no, not going there again. And I actually used to love their food. But child, I can't, I can't make myself go there again along that woman there. No, sir. Mm-mm-mm. Melita laughing. No, Melita, I'm telling you the God's honest truth. I was just like, what just happened? And then every time I see her out and about shopping for food for the restaurant, I feel bad. I'm the one who's feeling embarrassed. I'm like, why am I feeling embarrassed? She's the one who should feel. So child, I got on the phone and I went, dialed in. DEH, I think you need to go and and inspect this restaurant. Here's what I just experienced. And they were like, what? I'm like, yeah, I want to file an official complaint. After my brain settled in terms of what had happened, I did file an official complaint with DEH. And so sometimes that happens in the moment. People take a picture and send it to CMR like, WTF, why is there, there freaking a wig in my food, you know, or a cockroach or this or that or whatever. Oh, Lord Jehovah. Anyway, folks, that's why they say eat home, child. Um, I wish you guys a pleasant weekend. That's it for me. I'm out. I'm going to run and catch up, like I said, with some clients today. Uh, if you guys know this gentleman, tell him that he is wanted. Um, I don't know where he's working now that he's no longer with the prison service, but have him call Subfinance. They are looking for him to repay his $2,000 loan, plus the interest, plus the daily fees. Um, I'm sure they'll probably accept a payment plan. But, uh, you know, don't go around borrowing money from people if you can't pay it back or if you have no intentions of paying it back. Charles says, I do this uh, for my kids to make sure that they're getting what the food they're getting tastes good. Maybe she was doing the same for you. Listen, it's one thing to do it for people that you know. So you doing it for your kids is fine. You know, if I get a drink and my husband has a sip out of it first, that's fine. We're, we, we, we can agree to do that. But someone that I do not know, I don't want your saliva in my drink. Okay. I don't know what kind of germified thing you got going on. So <laughs> Charles, yeah, I was not impressed. I was like, why would she do that? You work in the restaurant. You own the friggin' restaurant. The mother owns the restaurant. If you want a tamarind drink, surely you can say, mommy, she's a big woman. Can I just have a sip of tam? I was like, is somebody starving her? Like, why? <laughs> There's so many ideas that went through my head about how and why that happened. To this day, I'm still dumbfounded, to be quite frank and honest. And boy, did I love that tamarind drink. I mm, feel like I'd go for some right now. Jeez, peace. Anyway, folks, I wish you guys a beautiful uh, weekend. Please be safe. It goes without saying. Do not drink and drive. We keep saying it, but y'all keep doing it. Don't be that person. All right? Be safe on the roadways. Have a beautiful weekend. Go out tomorrow. Don't forget. Go out and support the um, Saturday in the park, Dart Park, from 4.30 p.m. until 7 p.m. They're going to have a whole uh, bunch of festivities as part of the Ministry of Youth, Sports, Culture, and Heritage. Have a fabulous weekend, everybody. We'll see you on Monday morning.